it's time for the latest episode of Film Fires with me, Russell Guyver, and my cohort, Mr. Phil Newman. How are you, Phil? Good evening, or should I say, yeah, you betcha. Hell yeah, you betcha. <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm we're doing, doing, my, um... doing my best accent from Fargo. Yeah, it, really? it didn't Is that really your come out at all well, did it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, we are. We're doing Francis McDormand this week. Yes. Um, it's our, I think it's only our second um, focus on an actor in particular, having done Tom Hanks. I think that's right, yeah. isn't it? So far. I think that's right, yeah. And um, and where better to go, really? We've we've wondering who to go with, and in the end, we've plucked out Frances McDormand, who's um, made a real name for herself. Always in interesting, always quirky, <laughs> always brilliant in everything she's in, and she has a bit of a knack for finding the right projects to get involved in. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Famously, works a lot with the Coen Brothers and also from Wes Anderson. Um, she's had some awards. We'll get into all the details in a minute. But I think it's best to hand over to you, Phil, for your introduction, as is the custom now. <laughs> so, um, born Cynthia Ann Smith in uh, 1957, she was adopted 18 months later and renamed Frances Louise McDormand by her adoptive parents. So her adoptive father was a pastor. Her mum was a nurse and a receptionist. Her biological mother was probably a parishioner uh, in his congregation. Mm. Uh, the McDormans had two other children who also both adopted. They moved around a lot when she was younger, um, as his his job as a pastor was pretty much specialising in restoring congregations. How you do that, I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, you just say furniture then. <laughs> yeah, she got a BA degree in theatre in 1979 and a master's from Yale in 1982 uh, and was a roommate of Holly Hunter uh, while living in oh. New York City. They, they obviously worked together in uh, Raising Arizona. Hmm. In 1984, she made her film debut in the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple, their first film, and she married Joel Cohen, one of the brothers, uh, later yeah. that year. Mm. Um, after several kind of theatrical and TV roles she had, which she was in a series of Hill Street Blues, that kind of thing, her film career sort of took off in the mid to late 80s. And my final note is that she's probably the most believable actress currently working. Mm. Yeah, interesting. No, no, there, yeah, I think you could certainly say so. And um, yeah, on, I mean, on, the, on the awards front, she's got four Oscars, uh, two primetime Emmys one Tony Award. So this is known as the, the triple lock of acting. Yeah. There's only 15 men and nine, no, 15 women and nine men have ever achieved that. Um, currently living, that includes most of them are Brits, believe it or not. Jeremy Irons, Vanessa Redgrave, Maggie Smith, Helen Mirren, Glenda Jackson, or Jeffrey Rush, Al Pacino, Jessica Lange, I think the only one still living. So she, she knows her stuff. And she's in esteemed company there. That's, that's a list of yeah, heavyweight yeah, actors galore there, isn't it? She's yeah. also, as I understand it, she is also the only person to have won uh, best, best actor and producer, basically, for the best film um, yeah. award in the same year for the same film, um, which was for... I've forgotten now which one it was. Oh, Nomadland. Yeah, Nomadland. yeah, because she had produced that as well as, uh, yeah. as well as um, obviously acting in it as the main role. Um, and she's also only the second woman to win three Academy Awards. I didn't check who the first one was, but she's I'm going to guess. Yeah, she's won four, hasn't she? Four now, yeah. So, yeah. oh, sorry, yeah, Best Actress Awards. Yeah, I mean. yeah. Um, is it Meryl Streep, I'm guessing, is the precursor, oh, possibly? So. Yeah. Or is it Catherine Hepburn? 
Mm. Sure. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, yeah. Answers on a postcard. So um, before we before we, get, <laughs> before we get into it, she, as you alluded to earlier, she's done quite a few cameos, particularly in Wes Anderson and um, her husband's films. So I'm missing off my list her sort of smaller turns in well I'm, I'm not including for consideration the likes of Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Hail Caesar, Isle of Dogs and the French Dispatch. They're not Same here. No. so yeah. All absolutely brilliant films. But yep. yeah, she's not uh, in them quite enough to kind of justify being on this list. And I, yeah. I and on this list I've gone for favourite film rather than favourite performance. Yes. Um, and I've gone the same criteria in terms of the cameo roles, um, probably a little bit more to do with the um, the overall performance, I think, as well as film in my case. So it wouldn't necessarily be my favourites, although certainly they do feature heavily anyway. So yeah. for what that's worth. But I've gone a bit more kind of purist in terms of the her role in performance in particular on this one, which is a slight angle away from yeah, what we did so with Tom, Tom Hanks. I, I, I couldn't really do that because... I couldn't stand No Man's Land, even though she was brilliant <laughs> in it. So it's it's never, it was never going to happen. Oh, that was boring, that film. <laughs> I, it, heart was in the right place. Beautiful, amazing performance. Dull as dishwater. <laughs> okay, fair enough. To, yeah. to my Philistine yeah, eyes, anyway. Yeah, Philistine. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah it's a exactly. very good film. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... Um, Interesting background. I mean, there's not much more to add to that, really. I mean, it's quite a religious background, as you said, with the father, or sorry, the adoptive father being a pastor. I think this whole thing of the Southern, she's very much a Southern girl, isn't she? In the same way that Holly Hunter is. You can see that in quite a few films that she's been in, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she's featured in in films such as Blood Simple and um, Three Billboards, I think, is also set up, isn't it? Um, So they're... Mississippi um, Burning. (laughs) Mississippi Burning as well, yeah. yeah. So, you know, she's played that servant girl a few times. And apparently, famously, she's very proudly declared both her her birth mother and herself as as white trash, trash embracing the term, (laughs) which is quite um, quite interesting, you know, just owning it, really, and that that kind of thing. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned Blood Simple. We might mention that. I don't know if it'll be in, in either of the fives. Well, I do know whether yeah. it'll be in mine or not, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, that, that kind of thing, she hit the ground running really with that, didn't she? Because that was a, I think, um, a good, a, a great film. I think it's a really yeah. good film. Coen Brothers, um, you know, starting with the Masters in their early well, days. She, I mean, to start off with, she did Blood Simple in 1984. I think her second film was Crime Wave. Um, which I love. I bet you haven't seen. It's a Sam Raimi film made in between Evil no. Deads. Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers, I think, are quite good friends and work closely together. So, and then I think yeah. the next film after that was Raising Arizona, before she kind of cast her net a little bit wider and started working with other people in the in the later eighties. And the the other awards, and Emmy was Olive Kettridge, which I've not seen, and she got a Tony. But in terms of the other part of that triple yeah. set is for Streetcar Named Desire, which I think is a reprisal of a role she's already done. Um, oh, okay. And also her first professional acting role was in Derek Walcott's play In a Fine Castle, also known as The Last Carnival, which I've not seen any versions Never of at all. Never heard that, no. But, um, yeah, I'm acclaimed even then. So she hit the ground running. She's one yeah, of those definitely. actors. Um, I sent out a message to people, see if anyone's interested in giving their uh, top five. Some people have replied. And what's generally been commented on is she's generally good in everything she's in. Yeah. And she is one of And one most of the things she's in are generally good. Mm, has films as well, yeah. yeah not yeah. just her role or her. No, no, exactly. Yeah. She's not like she's not like a Nicolas Cage 
<laughs> that's genuinely quite fun, but in an incredibly amount of terrible films. Yeah. For Lee being another one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Michael Caine's had his fair few as well, oh, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He said, was it about Jaws 2 or Jaws 3? He said, I've never seen the film and I've heard it's rubbish, but I've seen the house that it built and that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that was Jaws 3, but yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, that's a great quote. Uh, and I mean, he's, he's had to work to live and live to work, and it's a mixture of the two. Francis McDormand, maybe by luck, by chance, or by design, from a clever earlier age, she's not really had to do that. She's been able to pick yeah. her roles. And she's often in very she's strong a, side roles as well, which yeah. might feature in this. Another countdown. point on that, and there's a bit of a running theme, I'm trying not to give two away here, of quite a lot, uh, some of... More than a couple of my uh, selections of films where the roles were written specifically for her, hmm. which is well, it's it's, it's a credit and a tribute yeah, yeah, itself, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. Um, one disclaimer I'll throw in as well. Um, one film which I've, I've heard is very good, and I've not seen it ever. Still haven't seen it. Wasn't able to get hold of a copy um, to see. Was almost famous, so I won't be including that in my top five purely because I haven't seen it amongst so those. So one film that I haven't seen that I should have watched was North Country. Oh, I've not seen that either, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All so right. that's those. But two. I think I've seen pretty much everything else. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Yeah. She won an Oscar for that <laughs> as well. Well, for North Country. Yeah. 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 That was um, what a supporting role again. I think so. That's a Charlize Theron starring. Um, yeah, film, I believe. So she's another, another true life story one. So that's five Oscars then she must have Four won, Oscars, yeah. But, but did she, I think she won for Fargo. Did she Fargo, win for Fargo, three billboards? billboards, North Country and Nomadland. Ah, but she got Mississippi Burning as well, right? No. Didn't she? No, no, she didn't. No. Oh, okay. All right, okay. My research Mississippi is Burning was a difficult one because um, um, I think it was, it's, it, was up against some kind of quite um, heavy uh, competition. I think, I'm, if I remember correctly, and I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm looking at my notes here. I think it was up against, or am I, or am I mixing up with something? I'm pretty sure it was up against Rain Man and um, Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> so I don't think it did quite as well as... Uh, okay. I might, have, I might have got that wrong. Well, find but to quote um, Dangerous Liaisons, then, it is beyond my control. She could have <laughs> said, yeah. Anyway, anyway yes. there we go. Right, okay then. So it is your turn, I believe, to start the ball rolling. So I was, so expect, I was expecting us to have the same top four, but maybe not. Um, I really struggled with my number. My top four were nailed on from day one, maybe yeah. not the order. My number five, oh, there was three or four films it could have been. Um, in the end... Unsurprisingly, I went for a Coen Brothers film, uh, Burn <laughs> After Reading. Ah, okay, yeah. So a, a disc containing mysterious information from CIA agent John Malkovich ends up in the hands of two unscrupulous and daft gym employees, Francis McDormand and Brad Pitt, who attempt to sell it. Uh, directed by the Coen Brothers, also stars George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Richard Jenkins and J.K. Simmons. So the Coens, they called this their version of a sort of Tony Scott, Jason Bourne kind of movie, only without the explosions. They wanted to do a uh, a spy film, as they've not done one before. Uh, they wrote it at the same time that they were adapting No Country for Old Men. They knew all the actors in mind as they were writing it. I think they were basically, No Country for Old Men is quite grim, and this was their light relief. And they wrote an exceptionally stupid film. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> in the best, best, best possible way. Um, I think that it's got a real A-list cast. I think they had a real struggle trying to get the timing to get everybody available. Um, if there's one sort of word to f- sum up the theme of this film, it would be idiocy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's the third in uh, George Clooney's four idiot films that he's done for for uh, the Coens after Oh Brother and Intolerable Cruelty, and he'd later do in Hail Caesar. Caesar. Brad Pitt said. Uh, he was so I think pretty yeah as I said all the all the roles were met, uh, were kind of written with the the actual cast in mind. Brad Pitt said he wasn't sure whether to be flattered or insulted upon learning because he is he's probably the most stupid in this film as the the, uh, the kind of the gym guy who, who's just you know easily distracted and very very cocky and sure of himself and completely thick. Um, <laughs> Um, Frances McDormand, yeah, she wanted to reinvent her. I think she's hit 50 and she wants to reinvent herself and reinvent her life and wants some money to get some work done. And that's all she's kind of driven by. Um, John Malkovich is absolutely hilarious in this film. Um, nobody does angry old man like John Malkovich. <laughs> I, he, he's, I mean, there's a scene where he, he, there's a phone call where he phones up Brad Pitt and, um, and Francis McDormand when they're sort of trying to blackmail him and he just unleashes a huge sort of diatribe of expletives down the phone apparently like he while the recording of that was done he was rehearsing for a play in Paris and couldn't be in America with everybody else so he just did it down the phone and it's just it's glorious <laughs> brilliant yeah I think the so, Coen brothers I mean they've there's, there's different sections to Coen Brothers films, and I'm sure we'll get onto mm. focusing on them as a separate one, so I won't go into too much detail, but there's, there's certain more frivolous, silly versions yeah. of their um, It's a sort of almost slapstick, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the they, have some really, they do have some really move, genuinely moving and genuine, uh, and beautiful films, yeah. um, but they do, they do mix it up within their own kind of quirky yeah. little universe. Yeah, my missus, for example, who's a big Coen Brothers fan, doesn't particularly like the the more frivolous film. So actually even oh, Big I Lebowski, she's not that keen on. And Burn After Reading and Intolerable Cruelty and Hail and Caesar, Hail Caesar yeah. she's not yeah. actually into those, those oh, that much. But I do, I, I, I like all of those. I love yeah. it, yeah. yeah. In fact, Intolerable Cruelty, probably a little bit less so. Burn yeah. After Reading, I do remember enjoying. I don't think, for me, it's one of their best or necessarily, but um, but it's, yeah. it's a good film, isn't it? It's good fun. It's very, very random, very, very unpredictable. Fantastic characters and exceptionally violent in places. Yeah, I've forgotten. I've forgotten that's actually true, isn't it? Yeah, there's some nasty things happening. So the, the the score in it is by a guy called Carter Burwell, who has done every single Coen Brothers film, bar two, Inside Llewellyn Davis, and I think it's House Season. I'm not sure the other one. Um, so he based, this whole score is basically percussive and it's all drums, um, which kind of plays into the kind of slapstick thing. There's no Leap motifs. There's no emotional sort of comment. It's all just trying to make things look as mad and stupid and silly and idiotic as possible, and it works absolutely fantastically. <laughs> yeah, great film. Um, I have to say, I haven't seen that recently. I, I do remember it from before, but uh, it's it's good. Oh, well, in terms of Frances McDormand's role in it, I mean, how would you describe her character in particular and the performance? So she yeah, she works in the gym. She's she she is the slightly more brighter and slightly more grounded um, sort of sandwich between George Clooney and Brad Pitt, who are just Id- idiots on a grand scale. 
she she knows what she wants to do. She thinks she knows how she's going to get there, and she goes about it in a certain way. Uh, yeah, she, she's fantastic. She's absolutely mm. hilarious in this film. I think it's sort of her biggest comedy turn, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and shows her flexibility because she's played roles in quirky films, but not quite yeah. like that. So yeah, it's more no. of as you said, more of an out and out comedy role of sorts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good choice. I'm, I, I haven't seen it recently, but I have, uh, I do recall a lot about it, which I think is a good sign because my, my narrative recollection, uh, narrative recall is, is not great. I, I do yeah. have to keep refreshing myself on films. I, I watched it when it came scenes. out and I, I remember being a bit disappointed with it at the time. And I watched it again recently and mm. yeah, I thought it was great fun. <laughs> that's interesting because yeah, I don't, I, if I remember correctly, I don't think I was, too endeared with the first time I saw it and yeah. I did see it again that was again a while ago but um yeah. but yeah the first it's, it's interesting when films are like that when they don't on the first reception yeah. you're not actually as as keen or in, the, se- the second time round, the first time round, you're sort of following the plot and what more the yeah. second time round, you realize there's not a lot of plot it's just lunacy yeah. and you just relish in the kind of performances and the, and the ridiculousness of the characters yeah. Maybe this could even be a subject of a future episode, actually. Films that get better the more you see them. Because I think um, some films, you don't, you're don't, you not able to absorb all the story and it yeah, takes yeah. more views to actually appreciate the full magnitude of a, of a great narrative. Other times, it could be that you're just not in the right mood the first time and then yeah. you saw it again and you have a revisionist view of it compared with your first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it could be to do with you see it on the small screen or the big screen. Reservoir Dogs, for example, I really love. I saw in the uh, cinema at the Marina in Brighton and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Punchy, punchy film, and the yeah, film, great. It's quite short, then, yeah. The second time I saw it, I didn't really. I, I thought it lost a lot on the small screen, and the third time I saw it, I went back to kind of appreciate it a bit yeah. more on the small screen. So you know, it's where you see it, when, what mood you're in as well. Yeah. When you were too tired, um, I fell asleep the first time I saw Citizen Kane, and then subsequent viewings, I think it's absolutely brilliant. But you know, that's uh, yeah. another that's for another time anyway. But yeah, so burn after reading it, you're number five. Yeah. Yes. Any, anything more on that one, Phil? Uh, no, um, uh, no, I, it's great fun. It's not okay. an out and out classic. It's not going to be a golden seagull. But it is a very, very enjoyable hour thirty minute, hour forty, or they're all, like all call it most Coen Brothers films. It's quite short, quite snappy, and quite to the point. Well, I think my number five isn't going to be a Golden Seagull either, but um, on partly on the basis that we won't agree on it. Um, some people might think this could be higher. Uh, You've got Nomadland respons- responses we've had. It is. It's Nomadland indeed. I've got it at number five. I like you. I was a bit underwhelmed by it, based on. Well, I think in my case, I think you may have been apprehensive about it anyway, from what yeah. I understand. But in my case, it was more to do with the hype and the fact that it's um, it's a very soft, small, gentle, not much happening kind of film. It's one of those. And I think yeah. because it's Francis McDormand, you're always excited. Oh, it's a Francis McDormand film. Yeah. Um, to me, I was a bit underwhelmed by it a little bit. But I, I do understand that it's the sort of film that's going to be like that if it gets too much hype, because it isn't a a punchy sort of film it's just not what no. it is it's it's, um, it's more it's almost near a documentary i think if yeah. i understand correct i think david strathairn and Francis mcdormand are pretty much the only actors in it i think everybody else are actual people living in that <clears throat> yeah, environment as, as i understand it yeah in a way funnily enough we were doing the films of 2021 and i think in dispatches i mentioned the truffle hunters yeah. in a way this is very similar to that because again okay. that those are as far as i'm aware or as far as i can tell 
um, genuine people just in situ but acting for the cameras rather than just living their life. They're yeah. actually acting for the cameras. And I think that's essentially what's happened here with this. I mean, to, to describe the film, it's uh, from 2020. American drama, as it's described, it's written, produced, edited, and directed by Chloe Zhao, who this was her debut, I believe, as yeah, well. She did um, The Eternals afterwards. This is better than The Eternals yes, by a long yeah. way. I've not even seen The Eternals. Such yeah. was the damning <laughs> condemnation in the critical <laughs> circles. Um, anyway, it's based on the 2017 um, non-fiction book, Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. And it stars Frances McDormand as a widow who leaves to travel around the United States in her van as a nomad. David Strathairn, who you've also mentioned, yeah. who's, who's also an excellent he's, actor when oh, everything he's in. Uh, he, he stars Especially as the, the Expanse. Um, it's really weird. I, I saw him recently in the, in the playing a sort of science, in this real geeky, nerdy science oh, fiction right. role with a ridiculous accent. And now seeing him in this, <laughs> compare and contrast, very, very different role. Yeah, I mean, he's he's brilliant in most stuff I've seen him in. Good yeah. Night and Good Luck in particular, I, I love where he's in a leading role. But um, this one, he's the main supporting role, I guess, to Francis McDormand. Um, he's kind of the half of sort of love interest, isn't he? She yeah. She into him on and off. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so, so there's a, it's a sympathetic character. It's kind of like a, a standoffish romance, I suppose you'd yeah. call it. Wouldn't you? It's that kind of a thing. Um it's an interesting film. I mean, it's because I mean, um, it's, it's based basically it's based in the kind of the aftermath of recessions in America and people just couldn't afford exactly. to live in yeah. houses anymore. Or in her case, she lived in she lived in a location where the biggest employer, American Gypsum, cleared out. And that meant the whole everybody. There were no jobs. There was nothing left. Mm. So every and. Within six months, he didn't even have a postcode anymore because everybody had moved out because there was just nothing there. Yeah. Which and is she goes around. I mean, that's got to be a ghost town now. It's heartbreaking when you yeah. think about it. And it, it does. What I do like about this film, it does document that, under, that understated, yeah. under, under the radar story of, um, well, disenfranchised people in the middle of America's underbelly, in the middle of nowhere, particularly. Yeah. Um, li- literally, once what, what happens that you've described happens. But, yeah. um, but in general, you know, the middle of nowhere land, you could call it nowhere land as much as nomad yeah. land. And it is about this culture of people who weren't from and all, a nomadic And they're all background. very old as well, aren't they? They're yeah, all in their this, 60s and 70s. This is what's interesting. This isn't some new wave, yeah. hippie, like post, you know, post hippie era, hippie kind of vibe going on. This is actually just people who have felt the need. But no to, pension. To take no, to the road, no, no yeah, assets no, to their name. Yeah, and they're doing yeah. they're doing jobbing work at Amazon on and off, seasonal work, yeah, bits and pieces, supplements, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's 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 interesting in that regard. I think it's I think it's it's got merits. The film. Oh yeah, I, no, I don't disagree. And it's, I mean, some of the sort of sunsets in it are absolutely beautiful. Uh, mm. It looks incredible. Some of the sort of the rolling savannah and the mountains yeah. in the background, yeah. and you kind of think. That must be quite nice camping in a, in a warm evening, you know, yeah, like yeah. that with your mates and having a drink and a bit of a chat. And then you see, yeah. uh, you know, in the ice and snow, sleeping in a van in minus 20 or whatever. Yeah. Is. yeah, I mean, it's honest, it's earnest. It's got, kind of touching in some regards. And I do think some of those those real life characters who are in yeah. it, because you know, or at least if you don't know, you, you suspect, yeah. depending on what, what research you've done into it, um, that these, these characters are the real deal. And, and it is interesting, as you said, these are older characters as well, older people. They're not younger yeah. people. So there's, there's, a, there's a real kind of melancholic sort of tragedy to it, isn't there, really? It's, yeah. it's, it's the modern era tragic 
Um, I mean, lots of them are struggling to pay strong. for their kind of medical bills. And, yeah, I see it. It's, it's horrible. I mean, some yeah. of them are, are how the, the the fact they can still be optimistic with everything that's happened against them mm. is, is yeah. good. So yeah. You see kind of a, an ongoing role of difference, perfunctory and kind of arbitrary activities and practical difficulties that yeah. come their way and you just see them knock on through it kind of it doesn't have a narrative arc i guess you could say no. as such or sort of only very gently it's more just you know these are the people this is what they're like this is, continues to be what they're like and you, you just get a depiction of ordinary life that i think yeah. almost the fact nothing happens much is is pretty much the point i guess of it as well um and as we mentioned francis mcdormand also produced along with along with the writer director editor chloe um and a few other people as well. Um, we've already mentioned Francis Dormand and David Strathairn. The other players in this part are Linda May and Swanky, yeah. who's who's a these are these are actual people character. that live like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so it's interesting in that regard. Um, it premiered in September 11, September the 11th, 2020. I don't know if that's a I think that significant America. date on purpose. Yeah. Or not. I don't I don't think we got it till 2021. I'm not sure. Yeah. Obviously, a very poignant date in America. Right? Yeah, so yeah. That's probably by coincidence. I mean, it was at the Venice Film Festival where it won the Golden Lion. It also won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival. These are these are decent, you know. If, uh, awards if, if that's what, if that's what the people chose, I never ever want to go to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> sorry people from Toronto. No, I mean, it's a mixed bag um it had a well a can is my bugbear i can't really stand it like mm. a load of trumped up poncy pretentious crap really yeah. anyway um it, anyway it's had a one-week streaming a limited release on december the 4th 2020 again this is a very modern era isn't yeah. it? streaming as a first release and yeah, it was then distributed... i watched it on, on disney plus oh really yeah it was on yeah. there was it? Oh, okay um, it was it was distributed by Searchlight Pictures, and um, and then eventually January the 29th, 2021, it was released um, in cinemas and simultaneously uh, digitally on Hulu, I believe it was at the time in February as well. Um, and that's that's pretty much that. The only other thing to mention on the background is that the film was a box office success, despite your disregard for it, right? Uh, on, on that particular score there, Phil, grossing $39 million worldwide against a $5 million budget, um, which is still pretty small by today's standards. Yeah. Uh, and it received widespread critical acclaim for its direction, editing, screenplay and cinematography, as well as the performances, of course, most, most yeah. notably. And it was the third highest rated film of 2020 on Metacritic, for what that's worth. Um, and at the 93rd Academy Awards, it won Best Picture, um, Best Director for, uh, for Chloe Zhao, and Best Actress, as yeah. we already mentioned, former Dormans, from a total of six nominations. Uh, Zhao became the first Asian woman, by the way, and the first woman of colour, and the second woman ever to win Best Director. Um, Dorman became the first woman and the fourth person to win Academy Awards for both acting and producing and the first person ever to win an Academy Award as producer and performer for the same film, which I mentioned yeah. earlier. And it's also the first Searchlight Films um, release to win Best Picture since the, the Walt Disney Company acquired the assets of 21st Century Fox. Fox there we go. Yeah, that's why I saw it on Disney+. Plus. Plus. Disney+, Plus, yeah. 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 Um, and it also won Best Motion Picture for Drama and Best Director at the 78th Golden Globe Awards, for which I have no respect at all, by the way, those no. award ceremonies. Um and uh, the British Academy Film Awards, 74th edition, um, it won uh, four awards, including Best Film. 
uh, and also other awards elsewhere. So that's that's all the accolades. Yeah, and everything all, else. all of the critics loved it. Yeah. It could have it could have packed everything that happened into it in half an hour, yeah. and you wouldn't have lost yeah. anything. Now I, I, I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It could have been it could have been an interestingly short documentary. I mean, mm. I don't know how short a documentary has to become before it isn't worthy of being classified as a film yeah. rather than just a tv program or yeah. something like that but um because i've seen obviously old films if you go right back in time they're well under an hour so a lot yeah. of them are, in fact even down to 20 minutes or 15 minutes but um with this one i think um yeah it could have been probably a little bit shorter um either way around i think uh, most of all of no really i mentioned about this this um, this slight change attack with me in terms of actors i've kind of tried to measure out a difference between uh, sorry, uh, amalgamation between um, performance of the of the actual, yeah. in the actual film and the film itself. For me, performance is excellent. If it's just on oh, performance, yeah. she'd probably could put it high. Oh yeah, she's surrounded by people who are living this lifestyle, which yeah. is completely and utterly yeah. believable. Yeah. And you're rooting for her. Yeah. Mm. You also want her to get together yeah. with Dravid Strathairn, and when she kind of rebuffs him every now and then, you think, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I'm on it's David Strathern yeah, or, exactly. a, or a guy that looks like him if you want to yeah. go with the old documentary element yeah, um, yeah I mean certainly if, I could put it certainly top three just on performance if it was just on that but I did want films in there that I really really loved and yeah. found very impacting and it wasn't quite up there for me although I did like it I didn't love it and a lot of people do love it yeah. so it's, it's in at five for me yeah okay brilliant I must ask what are you drinking at the moment Yes, we should get on to that. that. Yes, well, I am on the Belgium stuff tonight. Triple Carmelit, I think it's pronounced. Uh, Let me just put that in front of myself. I've got a very paper bag. That's a big old bottle you got there. It is a bottle. It'll last me for a while. Um, Bit of Belgian beer. What about yourself, Phil? So I'm on the uh, on the Beaver Town Neck Oil Session IPA. It's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice indeed. Staple classic. You can't go wrong with a bit of Beaver. Yeah, absolutely. And so we moved to oh, Beaver Town, sorry, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> anyway, so, so number four. Number four, yes. Back to you, sir. So, so uh, yeah, for number four, I have gone for Mississippi Burning, 1988. Yeah. Uh, very loosely based on the true 1964 story um, about two FBI agents, uh, Anson, played by an incredible Gene Hackman, and Ward, played by Willem Dafoe. They arrive in Mississippi to investigate the disappearance of some civil rights activists. It's no spoiler to say you you see them pulled over by the police and Mm. in the the very, very first scene. So you know they're not going to be finding them anytime soon. Mm. Um, So the FBI sort of knock up in, yeah, very, very rural southern Mississippi, and they are not greeted very very welcoming yeah. at all in the Gene Hackman of course being a, an old southern boy from Mississippi yeah. himself and uh, William Defoe are very young these are very young I mean they look so young watching them now it's quite scary <laughs> yeah well yeah William Defoe so he literally just come off this film before they did it was the last temptation of Christ yeah 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 and, and he's, he's he's the outsider isn't he he's the younger but the more senior yeah, figure of the two. Yeah. Gene Hammond's yeah. obviously been placed there as the guy that knows the territory. He's the seasoned veteran. Yeah. yeah. So it's written by someone called Chris Girolmo. I've not heard of. He's a singer-songwriter. Only ever wrote one or two scripts. Oh. Um, directed by Alan Parker. Now Alan yeah. Parker has a very strange CV. He specialises in two things: yeah. musicals and true, true, 
true story dramas. So yes. you've got Bugsy Malone and fame yeah. and the commitments and the wall yeah. and Evita on one side, and then you've got this and Midnight Express. And Which Angela's are really Ashes. hard hitting. <laughs> <laughs> and Angela's Ashes, <laughs> Come See the Paradise on, on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he did a lot of uncredited rewrites to the script um, after having a bit of a falling out with the scriptwriter himself. So it's very, very loosely based. None of the names of the original people are, are kind of have actually been used. Um, there's quite a lot of the kind of supporting characters are kind of like composites of actual people who are involved. And this has been very roundly criticised by a lot of um, civil rights activists for its sort of fictionalisation of events. So they have changed things around a lot for the kind of for, to get to do a better Dramatic. story. But, Dramatic yeah. license, yeah. But oh. make no mistake, this is a brutal powerhouse of a film. Um, Frances McDormand, so she plays Mrs. Pell, the wife of the deputy sheriff, Clinton Pell, who's played by uh, Brad DeReef, who's suitably slimy like he is in everything that he's in. Um, and she's basically the kind of moral conscience of the film. And because hmm. there's so much racism and violence and intimidation and aggression, she kind of grounds everything in the and she's absolutely wonderful in this. And there's an underlying sort of romantic element to this between Gene Hackman and her, isn't there? Nothing required, there is, but they're it's kind just of, there's a they're kind of kindred spirits. Apparently, in the, in the original script, they actually had a sex scene, and oh, right. Gene, Gene Hackman said, "I think we should take that out. That's we want to make it a bit more discreet and a bit more mm. subtle." Um, yeah, seven Oscar nominations, uh, including Best Picture, um, and it. One for um, best cinematography. Yeah, and this was up against Rain Man and Dangerous Liaisons. So, so you had a difficult year, as I sort of said earlier. Um, Hackman, in the, I mean, I don't, I'll, we'll talk about Francis McDormand shortly, but Hackman is just an absolute beast in this film. He's sensational. Um, he worked very, very closely with Alan Parker. Um, Willem Dafoe, I think he did a lot of research for this and sort of spoke to people and read all the books and found out about the sort of true life case. Francis McDormand, by her own admission, did nothing. She basically riffed off Hackman and said he knew everything. And I just let him take charge and I just followed him. And that was all I had to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's four four years into her career at this point, I think, isn't she? So yeah, she's yeah. early days still. Yeah. She's only about for thirty, I think, when they made this. Um, yeah. I mean, it got a bit of a mixed critical response. It does have a bit of the kind of white savior narrative, so mm. there are black characters in it. Very, they have very little to say. They're, most of them are kind of caricaturish to a certain degree. Mm. I like to think that if this film was made today, it would be a very very different film and would be made from a very very different perspective but that doesn't take away from how how powerful this film is and and this is this is permeates the whole of the history of hollywood and whether small budget films as well um which which is that um depiction of the white savior element and just the kind of the the whitewashing of stories not necessarily With with sinister intent, quite honestly, with earnest intent. Quite yeah, no, definitely. After, even something like Dances with Wolves, which cast um, uh, Native American characters in key roles, like Graham Greene, not the author, another yeah. one, uh, people like that. Um, and yet, there's always, you know, you've still got the central protagonist is still a white guy who's sympathetic and is the significant narrative driver of the yeah, story. Yeah. And 
at that era and, and a lot longer after that, still even way into the 90s, you still had this problematic element where yeah. uh, even with Tom Hanks with Philadelphia, they had to cast a non-gay actor in a yeah. role. And you know, it was a little bit skewed in terms of perspectives and things we're, like that. We're getting there now. It, yeah, we're getting there now. But we're still not quite films, there. But we're getting I've got, there I've, now. I've got certain issues with Alan Parker. Actually, um, I sort of like and I don't like him at the same time. I find some of his but films. Angel Heart is fantastic. It's great. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll maybe what well, we'll do Alan Parker at some point. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but he's. I think his films have got a sort of like a raw. Rawness, yeah. visually, it's like a rawness. Oh, this film is, is gorgeous as well. It is beautiful. Mm. And they've got the locations right, you know, the mm. sort of southern, southern locations. And just what, I mean, you watch a lot of churches burn at night. And it's yeah. something kind of quite beautiful about how horror awful, and even though it's absolutely awful of it. And, and they leave with a camera on it. I mean, the, the opening shot is, yeah. is that. To really emphasise the horror yeah. of what's happening. The cinematography yeah. this is, is fantastic. A real I mean, sense of menace. Won, won the Oscar, yeah. Mm. It's set in the 60s, 64, I think it is. And you've got that that real sense of the white shirts and the thin ties. It's a bit JFK. It's a bit, you know, it's all yeah. over. It's kind of got that feel of it. Um, and they reference Martin Luther King. And it's obviously, you you, you realise through this film, assuming the depiction is a fair balance, that... Um, there really was a we don't give a shit about the law about this. Yeah, you know, the, all, all the, the policemen as well. They yeah, thought the, they could get away with anything. The local the local police are depicted as majoritively racist and, yeah. and sinister as well. Um, but also the, the notion of the FBI coming in isn't seen as, oh, hang on, we've got to calm down. The FBI are here. It's more no, about it's actually confront them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an affront to the, their yeah. culture, their localised culture. The, you, the come actual, around, you, you boys come down from the north and tell us what to do. We don't yeah. like it kind of thing. You know? And the actual it's, sheriff, it's real menacing. Yeah, the sheriff who was actually involved in the case hmm. Um, he actually sued the, the, the distributors um, for defamation and invisible um, invasion of pri- privacy. And he asked for $8 mm. million dollars in, in damages. And they're there, the studio lawyers basically turned around to him and said, it's based on fact. If you pursue this, we're going to put all of the, we're going to let everybody in the world know that you were a suspect in this case and what you did. Mm. And he quietly backed away. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that I'm, I'm sure there are some issues, anomalies and whatever in terms of the narrative and the depictions. But I think in the end, it's hearts in the right place. Oh, yeah. And it, um, and it certainly depicts the, the horrors of the time. Um, yeah. and, and also just on the, on the initial situation, um, the civil rights guys, they're essentially, they're the fish out of the water as well, a bit yeah. like Willem Dafoe and the FBI. They were trying, They've, they were trying to get the local population to sign up for unions, I think. Yeah, and it's no, too voting. Wide. It's voting, wasn't it? Yeah, they were trying yeah. to get them get them voting privileges, and and the local white yeah. population took umbrage at that. Yeah, and and the, the the guys involved in the depicted in the story, two white guys who are driving at the front of the car, yeah. and there's a black guy in the back, and they're obviously yeah. together. The three of them are civil rights campaigners, and they're, they're basically wiped out. And it's about kind of difference. People coming in, outsiders in general. Yeah. And um, there's there's mentioned the N word problem is the words used yes. by the sheriff in one of the early scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it doesn't pull any punches. The the language used, some of the scenes as well are pretty brutal. Um, yeah. But I think it emphasises how awful it was in that yeah. era. You know, this is the 1960s we're talking no, about, not no. not a, not a century earlier or something. You know, no. this this was still how it was. And I, I did um. I did an uh, elective on my A-level, I think, about um, American 
modern history. And that whole era is very fascinating because there was so much going on. Unfortunately, most of it was not great, to be honest. Um, no. But it was a fascinating time and um, what people went through. Um, I agree with you about the black characters. I think they're seen as some of them as, as earnest and obviously understandably fearful characters. Yeah. But yeah, they're kind of, apart from there's one young lad in it who's quite a, quite a stand up kind of yeah. guy. Most of the others just seem to be fearful. They just like, we don't, we're not going to tell you anything. You know, mm, we don't yeah. want to get into trouble. Yeah. 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 Um, but also equally shown was, you know, you chat to these guys, uh, you're going to get killed rather than just yeah. threatened. And um, be- near the beginning, um, uh, William Defoe's character just goes into a diner and he sits in the sort of segregated black area at the back and the whole place yeah. goes quiet. And he sits yeah. down with one person and starts to talk to him. The other guy sort of gets, the guy gets out and walks away. They still off. beat him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was beaten like later that day. Yeah. It's a sort of warning. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. But Frances McDormand, I mean, going back to her, her, her yeah. performance in this, I mean, as you said, she's the wife of the death. She definitely the, grounds the film. Yeah, grounds the film, gives it a sense of, you know, there's and, a sympathetic... And a bit of balance, yeah. Local, local not everybody person. who lives there is a monster. Mm, yeah, which gives you that sense of hope. And I think she plays the role well because um, she's essentially, I mean, she she says it literally in, in the story um, that she is just someone who grows up, meets someone at school, uh, either at school or just after leaving yeah. school. You've got to find someone local, settle down, that's it. There's nothing more to do. And who are you going to find that isn't a, a white racist? If you're looking, if you're a white girl, you yeah. kind of got to settle down with a white guy. And how many of those are not racist? You know, so yeah. her, her her husband, the deputy sheriff, is clearly depicted as a a key protagonist in sinister activities and a racist. And um, it's the it's the guy, by the way. Oh, I've forgotten his name. You said his name is Brad DeReef. Yeah, Brad DeReef. Grima Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings. He was also in Deadwood. He played the uh, doctor. And he's in uh, he's in a, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, yeah br- he's, he's a Billy. bit younger then. That's Billy. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's brilliant. He's he's a very good actor. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting that she's played as a sympathetic character. Her husband's a racist police cop, um, and that all the people around her are also racist cops. And she's just embedded in this small town America. Uh, there's a sense of suffocation about it. And Gene Hackman yeah. obviously bonds with her at, at one level and, um, you know, for helping out and shopping her, her husband anonymously. It's yeah. quite clear what's happened. And, um, he, and she's kind of, well, there's, there's a horrible yeah. scene. Yeah. In it as a result. And, you know, f- subsequent to that, there's also another scenario where the house has been trashed later on as well. Yeah. And, She's just there yeah. tidying up. Mm. Yeah, well, but there's, can't, there's move, a, can't go anywhere. Exactly. There is kind of like a beacon of hope that she kind of yeah. lights, isn't there, within the story, which is, yeah. I think, you know, and it's a difficult role to play, I guess. It's, so, a, it, it's a, a kind of, I don't, I don't want to say caricature, but it could quite easily have been, been yeah. that in the wrong hands. As you said, she's grounded as a character, but I think yeah. as an actor, I think she, grind, she grounds the, yeah. uh, the, the narrative. Gives you a bit of light to go with the shade. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I was going to mention on this, so the score uh, mm. by Trevor Jones, um, it, it, it's good, but they he, they include several kind of gospel songs in it, which really fit perfectly. I, I'd like more of that, I think, to be honest. Yeah, that's reminded me, actually, because there's there's one scene where there's a woman, like an older woman, singing one of those songs. Yes. And I, I mean, I don't know who that is, but I, I'm, I looked on Spotify. There was no sign of it. I've forgotten her name now. It was, it was credited on subtitles. Um, but, um, she appeared to me to be 
a real life character. You talk about Nomad Lands. Yeah. Here again, you've got what looked like a real life character. It had a documentary element. I don't know if you remember as yeah. well with the film. There's three or four of the local white population are interviewed and they are, I, I would be amazed if they're actors, put it that way. Yeah. It looks, I mean, if they, if they are, then fair play to them. They look like, without being too rude, typical kind of really ugly on the inside and the outside kind of people who've just got very bigoted views and, and they look so authentic just talking about matter-of-factly, you know, yeah. about just racist views on subjects. Yeah. Sweaty kind of, it just looks like they're ingrained in the local terrain. And those characters added weight to it because it really made... Yeah, I mean, what, one, of the other, one of the other authentic. awful policemen is Michael Rooker. And he, yeah. he, he does a very good line in horrible, nasty... You know, I think it yeah. was just a little bit before he did Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I've been watching um, I've been watching some Walking Dead, actually. Um, oh, yeah. He's the first my... series, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's... I've never seen him not play a white, a, a white trash character. Even yes. in Guardians of the Galaxy, he plays that character, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> white trash on tour, yeah. Yeah, but, he's um, very good at it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is very good. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I love it. I think it's a great film. Will it feature on my top fives? Who knows? We'll have to find out in a while. Um, it's not number four, though, uh, which I can okay. tell you about in a moment. But do you have any more to say about Mississippi Burning? How many S's and I's and all that? <laughs> can you spell Mississippi? One Mississippi, it's, two uh, Mississippi. I mean, it's a film that's 34 <laughs> years old, and although it's dated in ways that we've kind of mentioned already, Visual as a, as a visually, yeah. it, looked, mm. it looks fantastic. It, it hasn't aged a day. It's yeah. well, if you haven't seen it, it's well worth it. Just be prepared to be a little bit depressed <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, yeah. There's something about the 80s, the, the films, even though they look good, um, if they're well filmed, you've got that kind of that slidey almost video style kind of feel yeah. to the to the look visuals of the film sometimes you don't get that with this production qualities no yeah. you don't particularly get that with this do you know no, i agree um although my copy of it is, is on dvd so that slightly lends itself yeah. to that but nonetheless it's um it's pretty good um probably my number four shall i move on to that yes my number four does visually feel a bit dated actually having watched it just last night as a recap okay. Second time, only the second time I've seen it, I saw it at the cinema, but it wasn't on first release. It was, um, yeah, it was at the, uh, I think it was on a, it was a retrospective or something like that. And I watched it last night on DVD. Um, it is a Coen Brothers film. It's Blood Simple, isn't it? It's Blood, it is indeed. Yeah. It's Blood Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would have Great had a film. I, I, that, that was one of the films in the running for my number five. Yeah. Yeah, I do you know what? It's gone down my in my estimation on the last viewing. I didn't enjoy it as much. Again, here's this thing, big screen, small screen, maybe that made yeah. a difference. There's a few bits about it which I don't like on, on second view. I'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But um but yeah, it's the Coen Brothers, as we've already discussed, their their first film, Francis McDormand's first film. It's nineteen eighty four. American independent neo-noir crime film. There's a lot of yeah. those kind of films around this era as well. And some of them are really but good. It, it, it's their this first film, but this is yeah. very much right from the bat. It's a Coen Brothers film. Yeah. Now, it's I, very I, recognisable as being one of their films, even from their, their absolutely. first Absolutely. Um, maybe this is a, a recurring theme on my list. Maybe it's a recurring theme on Francis McDormand's list of films. But you've got a role call here of... Um, 
written, edited, produced, and directed by the same person again. Yeah. Same with No Man Land, which is, well, I say the same person. It's two uh, people. Two it's brothers, Joel and Ethan yeah. Cohen. Joel Cohen, of course, who is Francis McDormand's um, husband okay. since 1984, and his brother, Ethan, they alternate in terms of their credit of who does yeah. what. Essentially, they both do both things. Yeah, don't exactly. know. Um, anyway, this is um, written, written and directed, produced and edited by both of them. It stars John Getz as Ray, Francis McDormand as um, Ray's lover, yeah. and Dan Hadea as, um, as Francis McDormand's character's husband. Also, Wonderful. And they all work. They all work together in a bar, don't they? He owns all, the bar. Her husband yeah. owns the bar, and her and Ray work there. Yeah, along with others. And you've got um, introduced in pretty much, I think, in the first scene, M. Emmett Walsh, another good old Southern yeah. boy. Who's, um, I think he was one of the most burning as well. Yeah, I think he is a role in that, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and he is one of the most delightfully disgusting characters on cinema. Um, again, watching it back, I think he was a bit less disgusting. That I remembered the first yeah. time around, um, because he's got two or three classic lines and a, and a few things that he does or says or thinks yeah. during the film, which makes you absolutely hate the guy. He's wearing this sort of like creamy white suit, two piece cowboyish suit, kind of latter day cowboy suit with a with a sort of like a Stetson yeah. style hat on as well. And um, he plays a private eye who Francis McDormand's husband Dan Hadea's character, uh, which is called Marty, hires. To look into from the very yeah. outset, yeah, um, a possible infidelities, yeah. infidelities, yeah, and in particular with this guy Ray who works at the bar. So um, now Emmett Walsh, rather incongruous with the usual classic Southern image, is driving a Volkswagen Beetle, a beaten up old <laughs> or beat up as they would say, yeah. old Volkswagen Beetle, which is I think a source a very early um, a very early hint at the playfulness of the Coen Brothers yeah. cinema, really, isn't it? Um, in a very in the immediate scene, they're driving at night. There's a view of the road, point of view shots. It's raining. You can barely see anything, and they're being followed in this beetle by Emma Walsh's character, who's a private eye. He's been hired by the husband to look into the infidelities, and um, essentially they the, the two spend a night together. He takes photos, tells the husband, yeah. and the husband suggests um, a possible double murder might be on the cards for a fee. That's yeah. the essential premise of the story. Um, its plot follows a Texas bartender who finds himself in the midst of a murder plot, it says here, when his boss discovers that he is having a love affair with his wife. It was the directorial debut of the Coens and the first major film of cinematographer um, Barry Sonnenfeld, who oh, later okay. became later became he did the director. many black films. He did indeed, and many, yeah. many other good films besides, as well as um, a feature film debut, of course, for Francis yeah. McDormand. So um, Dan Hedaya, um, his, his, he goes on to... Lots of good roles, including um, Usual Suspects and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's one of those. I he's, mean, this, he's great in this. Yeah. This film again, it's set in the South. It re, it, it's 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 hot and sweaty and raw and. None of the characters are very likable, are they? Feel like Mississippi burning, yeah, really. Yeah. Or most of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. None of them are likable. That's what's interesting. Because I think that's why it didn't quite make my list in the end. Yeah. Right? I mean, in, look, the reason I didn't really been, want to see any of them do well out of it. <laughs> no, I th- that's that's my impression. Second time round, I liked it the first time round. As someone who'd seen only a small number of Coen Brother films at the time, yeah, I think I, I, mean, I it's, liked it's it. got their aside from their visuals and their kind of character quirks, it's got a lot of the kind of random things happening. You never quite know where it's going, which is one of the things yeah. I absolutely love the most about yeah. their films. There's, there's always they're, nev- they're never boring. Yeah, yeah, that's it. 
but what but as you said that there's 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 an unlikability about all the characters you've got um Francis McDormand who's obviously got, seems to be quite wishy-washy in in the nature of the way she's gone into these infidelities she doesn't seem to have any particular ambition um she doesn't seem although she's happy to get away from the husband she doesn't seem to be that fussed no. they're still hanging around after yeah. this, this this um yeah this infidelity has really come out love in the between open. her and Ray isn't it it just seems no. more convenient it, than anything else it feels very dry and and yeah. very emotionless and Ray as a character the actor as well um gets is is a very dry, boring, bland persona. He yeah. he doesn't have any personality. He's not very charming. Well, he's not charming at all. He's I don't think he's particularly good looking either. No. There's a masculinity to him, but aside yeah. from that, I can't see what she sees in him. And he's so deadpan in his delivery. Yeah. As a, I don't know if it's deliberate uh, like that or not. I don't know. But a real deadpan character. Dan Hadea is a pretty unlikable guy. I mean, he's he's clearly a guy who's uptight and got issues and. And doesn't quite know what he really wants. And in the end, you know, commissioning a private eye to try and kill his wife and lover isn't very agreeable yeah. behaviour anyway. And the private eye, as we mentioned, is this kind of really repulsive personality. He's, yeah. Uh, I, I quite, he, he's my favourite character in it, though. He's, he's oh, yeah, 100%. 100% for me as well. And, I mean, there's a scene which is a bit earlier than I remembered in the film, which is where he... He talks about somebody having a, an injured hand and then someone injures his other hand and there's this, this anecdote he tells. Yeah. And he, he, he rather likes that anecdote too much and has this repulsive, ongoing, elongated laughing fit about it yeah. um, to do with wiping ass. You know, yeah. you your wife loves you because in the next five weeks she's going to be wiping your ass or something like that. And it's a memorable <laughs> scene. That's the thing yeah. I remember the most about this film is that yeah. line. Um, which tells you that that character is the most colourful by a long way. Yeah. Um, but he's a bit conflicted, actually, isn't he? Because he's commissioned to do this. Is he really going to do it? You don't. And, you, I was never completely convinced that he was happy to take the money to do it, but not to actually do the deed. Yeah, exactly. And then also he comes back, and the, the, the way the narrative unfolds with the the murder scene where. Um, Someone else is killed, shall we say? We won't spoil yeah. it if you haven't seen it. Someone else is killed in the film, uh, or so we think. And then people just keep showing up at the murder scene and doing stuff that I think, whether you're guilty or innocent, and you discover a, supposedly a body, yeah. you wouldn't do what they're doing. And no. they, it's all a bit, <laughs> it's all a bit odd in terms yeah. of character decision making. And that's part of the reason why I thought I don't know if I'm really convinced by this. I can go into quirky and I can go into um, should we say just un- unrealism in terms of yeah. the way the story's going? But this just felt like it was kind of gritty and very sweaty and very basic, raw kind of could be happening narrative. But the narrative itself is not realistic. It's, just, yeah. it's a bit a bit of an odd film. So my it's gone down. It was going to be in my top three, but I put yeah. it down to number four, and I, it almost went further to be honest. However, it is the Coens. It's it's them trying out, yeah. feeling their way through. It's probably film. my six or seven, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's an interesting film. I do like several elements of it very much, and three or four other elements of it, I think, are agreeable enough. Yeah. And as you said, you can see the motifs. Um, there's many subjects that the Coens cover. The death or near death or potential death, they, they cover in a yeah. playful way, don't they? Always, um, yeah odd stuff happening, kind of weird decision-making maybe sometimes. Um, and they like the, the, the private eye. They like the anecdote being told. I'm trying to think if – I don't think there's any um, 
one of the other motifs in the Coen Brothers is the, the anonymous figure who who talks or narrates uh, an element of the story. So you've got Christopher Lloyd uncredited, but it's definitely yeah. him in Fargo. You've got um, the guy who's outside in Llewellyn Davis or Llewellyn Davis. Yeah. Um, there's a guy outside uh, who beat someone up, and yeah. who's that? And the point is, it's just this deep-voiced, very masculine American figure. Yeah. I mean, you haven't got that in this film, but you can feel it's on its So you've got Sam Elliott and Big Lebowski. Yes, yeah. Sam Elliott, yeah. 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 Let me tell you about the dude. <laughs> hmm. So that's that's it, really, on, uh, for me on yeah. Bug Simple. No, not much more to say on it. It's raw, it's rugged, it's... it's um, it definitely has a lot of promise of what is to come. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Meantime, by the way, I'm changing backgrounds all the time. So for Phil's yeah, so if you hear me I'm, I'm showing a snigger or anything. <laughs> already sudden weird Involuntarily, yes. While, while, while I momentarily disappear from the screen and then place something else new uh, for people's delight. <laughs> We've now got the Isle of Dogs um, coming up in the background. Yes. Here, um, which is a poster I also have on this. This is a wallpaper on my Zoom, but I've got it That's as a... Great, on my wall, actually, an Isle of Dogs poster. It's a great film. Doesn't feature in this, no, by the way. It was on my um, cameos list. Yeah. Cameos, and it's um, it's voice acting, which I I think very commendable, though it is. It kind of doesn't feel like you really see the full no, breath, the, breath of the actor's talent. No. So, yeah. so there we go. Plot spoiler. There we go. Right. Shall we take a quick break? Oh, are we going to? Oh, okay. Obviously, the beer's going right <laughs> through your film. <laughs> it may be. <laughs> Okay, so we've done our, our fives and fours. So you've got our number five, Burn After Reading, and I have Nomadland. Number four, you have... Mississippi Burning. Oh, yeah, boy. And I've got another good old Southern film in Blood Simple. So that's where we're at at the moment. In part two of what I suspect will be three parts, uh, we will be talking through our threes and beyond. So stay tuned for that coming back in just a moment. So Phil has refilled, haven't you, Phil? I am. Phil I'm, refilling. I'm now back on one of my tried and trusted favourites, the Sierra, Neo, uh, Sierra Nevada California IPA. Citrusy source. and sessionable, to quote the label. Yeah, well, citrus, yeah, that's one of your five a day, isn't it, straight away? Exactly. Um, I'm still working my way through this triple um, Carmeliet, um, which is rather nice, but I have a backup ready for later as well. Um just one quick footnote on Blood Simple, which I forgot to mention before the break. Um, actually, a couple of footnotes. Um, one is um, we're talking about motifs in Coen Brothers. Yeah. Uh, lots of classic directors have motifs. Hitchcock is, is, is another classic example. But with the Coens, this, this underlying humour, this deadpan humour yeah. is one of those things. Now, those black ca- comedy. Exactly. Now, that, yeah, this Ray character in particular in Blood Simple is uh, the, you know, the, um, the lover is, um, is, is the most deadpan and wooden kind of character you could possibly imagine. And yet he throws in a deadpan quip about um, the husband. Um, the husband turns up at the house, his house, where she's staying yeah. and grabs her and starts taking her outside and she bites his hand and gets free and then kicks him in the balls. And then he, he kind of scampers away as Ray steps outside topless, yeah. you know, it's kind of like masculinely, See him off sports the, car, yeah, yeah, that's it. And <laughs> Dan Adair, you know, is his um, character Marty's character. Uh, Marty is the character, sorry. Um, the dog jumps in the back of the car, and then he drives off. And then there's a, there's a deadpan comment about 
hmm, I wonder what his face would be like when he realises it's a dead end and then the car comes yeah, back. Yeah, he can't go back the other side. <laughs> Which also very subtly is... So not many in. other filmmakers would put something like put that, that in, in this it. kind of film. It just made it, sense at the same it's a, time. It's a B-movie neo-noir type film and yeah, it's, yeah. it's great to chuck that in because... The one thing in noir as a whole, which is not normally there, is humour. And yeah. actually, there's a character, who is it? I think it's, um, I can't remember who it is. Someone else shows up later in the film and does the same thing. And they don't even mention, the, you know, they're mentioning it. You just hear the car drive off, screech to a halt, yeah. and then you hear it drive past again. And I think that's a really good little subtle yeah. detail, which yeah. I like. So, they so they do a lot of that in their films. So you do miss some some of the things in it. Hmm, yeah. So, so, I mean, that, that was one thing I wanted to mention about Blood Simple. I think there was something else, but I can't remember what it was now. It doesn't really matter. That was the main thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's it. So that was my number four. Um, I've, so, I've definitely guessed your top three then. I don't know what order, but, and I won't say what they are, but we, I know what they are. You 100, <laughs> you 100% know two of them. Uh, what's the third one? Oh, yes. The third one you'll know as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure you'll know that. Right. Okay. okay. Back to you then, Phil. So my number three, which I'm pretty sure will be in your top three too, fairly recent, about 2017, it's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful, fantastic film. So um, a mother, uh, Mildred, played by Frances McDormand, um, challenges the local authorities to solve her daughter's murder when they fail to catch the culprit. Yeah. So she's a bit worried. Not, not. She's just thinking nothing's really happening. No one's making any effort to kind of find out what happened. So she hires three billboards out and starts asking questions on them, yeah. and then things escalate from there. So written and directed by Martin McDonough, um, who's, I mean, he's also known for the even better, in my opinion, in Bruges and are not quite as good Seven Psychopaths, which yeah. is still very good, but it's the third of the three. These, um, these are two brothers, by the way, the McDonough brothers, and one of yeah. them writes, I can't remember which one, one of them writes for stage as well, and there's um there's a there's a play called The Lieutenant of Inishmore, I think it is, which yeah. is, it, it, you think in Bruges is punchy, my God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to you, Phil, Yeah, so um, also stars... It's a fantastic cast. It also stars Woody Harrelson um, as the kind of the chief. Another the, Southern boy. Another Southern boy. Sam Rockwell as a racist policeman. Oh, um, yeah. Abby Cornish, um, who's uh, Woody Harrelson's wife. Uh, John Hawkes and Peter Dinklage, who's a, a Tyrion Lannister himself. Um, so McDormand and Rockwell basically won every single award going for their performances in this film. You name an award, they won it. And both of them are brilliant, but everybody's great in this. You know, it, yeah. it, it's, it, it's a fantastic film. It's, it's, I, 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 it's a bit of a trope, but it's a Coen Brothers film in all but name. Let's be honest. Mm. It's got, it balances sort of the sort of searing drama and violence, but it's absolutely hilarious and got the black comedy all over it. it, it it's, very violent, surprising. You're never know quite sure what's going to happen. If this yeah. were co, if this came out as a Coen Brothers film, I wouldn't have noticed. You know, that's feels... interesting you say that because I, I wouldn't have classed it as a Coen Brothers esque film. I do, I can see why you you think it's along those lines, but I wouldn't have actually completely gone down Coen yeah. Avenue there. It but, even um... has the um, so the the soundtrack was Oscar nominated by Carter Burwell, who does. Yeah, he's Coen Brothers films. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, um, 
it's I mean again so the characters of uh, of McDormand and um, Rockwell were written specifically for them. Uh, Quantum McDormand wasn't sure at first, sort of, she she thought the character was a bit more of a young mother, and she thought he was a bit too old to sort of play the part. Her, her husband Joel Cohen talked her into it, and thank God because she's electric in this film. Um, I think this is probably her, her best performance. I, I would think for for, for, for me anyway. Um, so, but yeah. she's she's just really strong, and she just knows what she wants, and she won't back down, and she will do anything to kind of get it. And she's yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I think if you're just going purely on performance, I think it probably does edge yeah. a certain other film that might mm. rear its head very shortly. Um, yeah, I mean, she she is superb in this. You you really feel for her. It feels look, you, you you just you can feel how this scenario has come up. Yeah, you can feel her pain. You can it, understand the motivation for what she's done. With you the can, but it's a believable. Awards. You can believe it happened. So mm. so. Um, the kind of the guy who and the directed as well. it, McDonough, he actually saw this in real life in sort of late nineties. He was driving around southern US states and he saw billboards posted oh, right. up sort of around, sort of highlighting the incompetence of the police and asking what's mm. going to be done. And he kind of banked it away and it took him ten years, but he eventually kind of wrote yeah. wrote a sort of story to go alongside it. It's not based on that those events. It's it's completely a story of his own making. But so we he was inspired. We talked about oh, yeah. the racism of the Southern Police. Now we're talking about their general incompetence. Now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but you've also got Sam Rockwell's character, who is mm. very racist, alcoholic. Again, that's a character that could be quite a caricature in the wrong hands, but he's easily he's, he's fantastic. I, he, he's usually brilliant, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. I think he, he he really has an amazing screen presence. He's usually in independent cinema, he's magnetic, isn't he? Isn't he's he? always yeah. yeah, magnetic's the word, yeah. And he, he's a Southern boy as well. And Matthew McConaughey is another one that's like that too. But Sam Rockwell's got an energy about him, hasn't he? Yeah. And in this case, he's he's he really straddles the the border of being a caricature, and he just stays the right side. On the of right it. side of it, yeah. And it gets interesting as it goes on. His character doesn't he? Because there's a redeeming element to him, if I remember yeah. rightly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's. I mean, some of the things that happen it's a horrible. Yeah, oh, but yeah. yeah, it's never less than gripping. Um, uh, well, Woody, well, I was going to say Woody Harrelson's character in this is interesting too, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's, he's cancer, very resistant he? and he's very dismissive. No, it is what it is. Leave us to it. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And and you know things are whatever they are. And, and then he gradually and he knows that he hasn't got long to live as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Which is which is interesting. And you know, you could say there's there's several characters who have that in in cinema and tv you've got the breaking bad character you've got peaky blinders character yeah, yeah, we yeah. won't spoil it but that, that's an element of the latest series of that yeah. and here you've got woody harrelson the same again you know he's there's an illness and his philosophy perhaps his his outlook on life changes a little bit just enough he starts to just get a little bit of sympathy doesn't he yeah um more than average uh which which helps the story along um, I, th- I think he he's always good as well. He's another yeah. magnetic person. Oh, yeah. so, this Sam is Rock- heavy acting. Yeah, it is. Sam Rockwell actually said he built he based his performance on John Wayne in particular, the kind of characters in the man who shot Liberty Valance. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, and thought uh, uh, in the in how his sort of position was opposite Francis McDormand's character. Yeah. There's a yeah. scene. I can't remember what the scene is. There's a scene where Rockwell goes across the road or something, doesn't he, and does something yeah. nuts. Um, it's a really striking 
yeah. striking actions in this film, which yeah. really Again, put you on edge. That's it, Brandon's sort of things happen that you never quite. This is why I kind of it kind of felt like a Cohen film to me. Yeah, but it does feel believable. All of it yeah, feels it believable does. at the same time. It does, mm. and just and the kind of this the ending. I don't want to do any spoilers, but it's just. Oh, yeah, let's see leave that coming. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll leave that for the uh, for the viewers if they haven't seen it. But mm-hmm. if you haven't seen this film, highly recommended. Um, I think it's great. I've got the wallpaper on the background now that fulfills yeah. delectation, uh, showing the cast. Um, I've got well, it's, it's a billboard with three actors, which seems appropriate, doesn't it, for three yeah. billboards? Yeah. Which of course are those three leads we mentioned, really. And um, yeah, so around about the, so the round about the, it's become a bit of a thing now. The three billboards, it's it's kind of caught on. So around about the same time that the film came out, we had the Grenfell fire tragedy in in London, mm. um, and the justice for Grenfell group, they hired out three vans with electric sight screens on the back to drive around London continually with basically the same statements on there saying, you know, but sort of slightly changed to, to say sort of things like 71 dead, still no arrests and, oh, and things like that. Um, there's been kind of similar boards used all around the world. I think it's a similar thing's gone up in Bristol, it's been happening in other places in America, other places around the world. I think Frances McDormand sort of said that she's like thrilled that activists have kind of been inspired by kind of using this that's great one other kind of tidbit i thought was quite interesting (laughs) so uh, apologies for my pronunciation wang kishan who's china's vice president said that he understood trump voters after watching this film oh right okay so Mm, make of that what you make of that what you will (laughs) understands from a a point of pity or of sympathy who knows or, or, yeah all their motivations or how they how they reacted i'm not sure yeah hmm. well i mean yeah i mean this film it's it's got so much detail to it i, I really love um i think it looks great uh, it's really well directed i think all the all yeah. of the scenes matter they all they all drive yeah. the narrative i think it's a story brilliantly well told as as we said really good cast Francis McDormand is very much the driving force of it yeah. amongst that good cast. Um, she's very much the lead. She's seen depicted as the lead in all the publicity and, and quite yeah, rightly so. The part was written for her, yeah. Yeah, as you said, it's one of yeah. those that did that. And um, I think it's interesting, this this whole life imitating art, art imitating life. Yeah. You, you're talking about all these yes. activities that have occurred since the film came out. I think that's interesting, fascinating and commendable as well that yeah. The film can do that. It always has been able to do it. It always yeah. will be able to do it. And I'm glad it has done in this case, um, regardless of what someone's going to say about Donald Trump voters. But, uh, yes. <laughs> but she, interesting as well, Frances McDormand is, you, you can tell anything you've ever seen her in, in terms of an interview or a speech or, or, or anything, yeah. you know, off, off camera, so to speak, in terms of the actual filming. She, she clearly is an earnest person with a very grounded sense of yeah. right and wrong. And she has campaigns and issues that she wants to promote. And, yeah. and she's she, one of the she's one she, of those people that's got, there's something about her. You don't want to ruffle the feathers. You no. Just sit back and listen to her and respect what she says. She's one of those characters. Yeah. Um, there was something I was trying to look it up actually to see her personal life on wiki i can't remember what it was now um but she's been involved in campaigns and various things hasn't she uh let's see if i can find it 
Uh, no, I don't, I don't think she's got that involved in politics, but I think she's kind of kept kind of quite quiet. Yeah, but, but I think she's let her performances speak for herself. Yeah, I'm 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 not a fan of awards. Um, the Oscars included, to be honest, I think they're a farce. We've talked about yeah. it. The Golden Seagulls is where it's at, Phil. Yeah, exactly. You know, you this is definitely awards, a, if a Golden award whatever's suitable, not just yeah. one thing of each category. But I remember her going to one of the awards probably about four or five years ago, and there was something about her persona and those awards, the way she behaved, yeah. and she she just had that edge about her. People didn't want to step on her toes, when, and I think she dressed rather uncannily and. And when she won a Oscar, she she didn't get up and punch anybody in the face. So that's (laughs) yes, since our last one, of course, we've had the (laughs) the Will Smith and Chris Rock incident. Well played, sir. Excellent. You've created a bit of publicity around the Oscars and got yourself banned for ten years. Yeah, Uh, but anyway, but you sold out Chris Rock's comedy tour for him, so that's pretty good. (laughs) He doesn't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's done well out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of Chris Rocks, to be honest. He can be funny in certain I've places. I've seen him in a thing for a long time. The main thing I remember him yeah. for is Lethal Weapon 4. Mm, yeah. But this whole American comedy style of, oh, you know, it's, oh, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. It's, I, I don't find that funny at all. That's, that's no. just churning up shit out of nothing and yeah. making the grand total of shit. You've, mm. you've got to be funny. You've got to have talent, ability, timing. I'm not sure he's exactly. got it. Uh, Will Smith had good timing. I thought oh, you know, yeah, way he pulled out the uh, the punch and turned it into a slap. That was yeah. that was calculated, and also he got a good bit of swing to it still to look stylish. Well, he did play Muhammad that. Ali. He probably had a bit of training for that, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about the Oscars, damn it. Um, so that that's your number three. We're up to, aren't we? Now, my number three is one that we've already talked about. So I, yeah. I don't have too much more to say about it. You've gone for Mississippi Burning. Yeah, you're nailing this. Yeah. Oh, well. Mississippi Burning at number three. Um, for all the reasons we've discussed. Um, great film. I think it's a great film. Um, it's visually fantastic. It's very blood-boiling, uh, which is a good thing in this case. Yeah. Um, yes, it's got its flaws. Yes, I do have my issues with certain elements of Alan Parker. I, Alan Parker's cinema is quite raw and rugged and quite yeah. stark it's almost documentary it? style sometimes mm. yeah so so midnight express that we've mentioned earlier um is very similar to mississippi burning in one sense that it's got this kind of this this traumatic narrative it's yeah. got um it's got quite stark visuals um yeah. could, could be beautiful but they're stark and it, there's a rawness almost sound isn't very it's it's not very highly produced is it yeah. I wouldn't say it's not well made. I think he's a good director, but it's not it's not high end cinema in the in the general the production traditional sense. sense yeah. yeah, and it's more I don't know. His eighties films are, I think, his most interesting. You know, we, we're talking about this Midnight Express, Boxy Malone. He died um, a couple of years ago, didn't he? I think. Yeah, it, yeah. it was interesting because he was one of the people that I remember a quote a few years ago where he said. But he actually, his revisionist view, based on a, a difference of opinion earlier in his career, was that he felt that cinema did influence people, not necessarily for good. I think he was talking about violence in cinema yeah. affecting people's behaviour. And I, I was kind of disappointed with that because I think that's largely bullshit uh, unless someone's yeah. already a complete nutter, yeah. um, in which case that isn't the main issue anyway. Um, yeah. And I, I I would say there's a number of things I wouldn't agree with him. I don't think he really, really, really hits all the top notes for me. 
And yet, I do think in three or four of his films, he's at the top of his game. And yeah. Mississippi Burning is one of those films, without yeah. doubt. Um, I really love the commitments as well, actually. The commitments, uh, yeah. fantastic. You mentioned You've got, you got the right cast, the right tunes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Midnight Express is Midnight Express and uh, Mississippi Burning. I think are companion pieces. In the yeah, way. they really be a blood miserable boil, double it? bill. <laughs> yes. How to spend four hours of your life? You want to really get depressed. <laughs> but um, as you said, I mean the the the, the piece of resistance here. Admittedly, is Gene Hackman. He is unbelievably good in this. We'd have to do him at some point. Yeah. He, he's a brilliant actor. He is, he is superb. There's so many films, lesser known films as well, that people won't necessarily know which, where he's brilliant. But Frances McDormand, yeah, her role in this film is lesser because she's a side character. It's, it's a supporting actor role. Yeah. Um, but her role is important. It's pivotal oh, yeah. uh, to the... To the uh, it to would the, be a very different film without her. Absolutely. And it and would be almost unwatchable because she yeah. just... It and would she's, just be too brutal. Exactly. And she's playing a, a southern girl again. She's four years into her career by this point. She hasn't done a great deal of stuff, albeit she, what she has done yeah. is good. So, you know, it's, it's an early early role for her still. She still looks young. The wife was interested, but when she looked at it, she said, oh, this is interesting because she looks quite kind of sexy and quite attractive yeah. here. And Frances McDormand isn't particularly known, not to say she's not attractive, but she's not... No. Known not known as, as a, yeah, kind of those earlier gl- parts, kind of the clearer skin, the dimpled chin, the kind of slightly fluffed 80s, yeah. kind of slightly kind of hairsprayed hairstyle type of thing. This is this era, and she plays it well. I think she's she's really good in the role. Uh, we've talked about it already, so there's not much more to say, but um, I really like the film. And if you haven't seen it, where have you been? You've had 30, 40 exactly. years to watch it. <laughs> available on all good um no that's probably not actually but i've got it on dvd if someone wants to borrow yeah. it <laughs> back to you phil so we're number on two. to the top two now well it, well so my number two this could easily be my number one um but for purely selfish personal reasons you haven't seen it it's almost famous ah yeah so this so, is the one i've not seen yeah. if i had seen it maybe it would have been well it's slightly different for me um Early 70s rock is one of my absolute loves. I play in a pub rock band that gigs every weekend, playing a lot of the songs from this film. That whole time period, the musicians, the lifestyle, I've read all the autobiographies. I've read, listened to all the albums. I love it. So I'm, they could put a rubbish film out set in this kind of environment and I'd still get something from it. But this is done fantastically well it's um sort of story about it's a semi-autobiographical tale by uh cameron crow um also known for jerry Maguire singles and vanilla sky let's let's uh, boy so much well. recently that's richard yeah. Linklater, isn't it oh yes it is yeah that's right yeah, yeah. just testing you though just testing yeah you. okay <laughs> and so it's a story basically it's sort of a similar story to his own teenage years as a high school boy um, played in this case by Patrick Fugit um, who in the early 70s is given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an up-and-coming rock band uh, the fictional band Stillwater as he accompanies them on tour um, so also stars Billy Crudup as the kind of guitarist from the band Jason Lee as the singer and there's a group of girls following the band around on tour uh, Kate Hudson, Anna Pat Quinn and Zoe Deschanel mm-hmm. so it's basically he's on tour meeting groupies having his first experiences with drugs alcohol loud music 
his Francis McDormand plays his mother back at home, who's constantly trying to track him down wherever he is on tour and phone him out and find out how he's getting on. He's only 15 and he's going on a great tour. He wants to interview the band, get a kind of story out of it. Um, and four Oscar nominations, it won for the best screenplay. Um, oh, this is, oh, well, so I'll try not to go too mad because this is my, this is my thing. So I can feel the passion, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter Frampton, a bit of a legend of the time, he serves as a sort of technical consultant on this. Um, Crow wrote three of the kind of Stillwater songs with his then wife, Nancy Wilson from the band Heart. And Frampton wrote the other two. Mike McCready of Pearl Jam plays all the lead guitar. Um, yeah, um, it's got another character called Lester Bangs, who is a true um, life person or was, um, who was a kind of uh, the, um, a sort of rock, famous rock journalist. He kind of gets a, a good part. Of, he's played, I mean, Jack Blank, John Favreau auditioned for the part. Philip Seymour Hoffman got it. He's absolutely incredible, as he always is. Mm. Um, but yeah, but Frances McDormand, her role again in this is great. For what a role, I mean, her role is not, it could have been quite annoying where most of her film is spent on the phone, trying to phone her husband up, um, her son up in various hotel rooms. How are you getting on? Don't do drugs. Don't do this. <laughs> it could be quite an annoying role, but she comes across really, really well. She meets the guitarist of the band and has a sort of conversation with him, like, like the sort of things with him later in the film. She's, um, she's wonderful. This part wasn't written for her. Um, Cameron Crowe, he actually based this part on being semi-autobiographical on his own mother and apparently his mother sort of turned up on set a lot to see how it was going and what was happening and keeping an eye on him <laughs> um, he asked uh, his mother to sort of keep away from Frances McDormand should she kind of you know ruin her portrayal of her but apparently they got on absolutely famously almost famously yeah, almost famously. So a lot of the events that actually kind of happen in the film. It doesn't really have a kind of really, it's not quite like Nomadland, um, but it doesn't have a kind of real narrative. They're on tour and things happen. Most, but it's fully scripted, you know. So most of these things, the kind of things that kind of actually did happen to Cameron Crowe when he's on tour with the Ullman brothers in the early 70s, there's a kind of plane crash bit in it, which kind of is a sort of thinly veiled reference to Leonard Skinner. Um, it's very, very funny. It's very, very touching. It's got a large, it's got a quite a big ensemble cast, but each character has their own unique identity and personality. They're all lovable. Um, the soundtrack is absolutely, I mean, it's, it's Simon and Garfunkel, The Who, yes, Beach Boys, Leonard Skinner, David Bowie, Elton John. Above all, Black Sabbath. Above all, um, it's Led Zeppelin never, ever let their music get used for films. Cameron Crowe mm. made the film. He took it. He took the sort of the the, uh, the film over to London. He sat down with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page with Ed Zeppelin, showed them the film, said, "Please, can I put some of your music in the film?" They said, "Yep, yeah, fine." Wow, yeah. I mean, that's that's commendable. Yeah, fair play. Because as you said, they very rarely ever had their music used in film, and he's he is a he's a real committed rock man, isn't he, Cameron yeah. Crowe? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Man after um, your own heart. Yeah, so I mean, I I, I originally watched this at the cinema. I watched it again. I managed to get hold of the director's cut, which is forty minutes longer. It doesn't. It being kind of a film that kind of goes along on its own pace with an ensemble cast and not much of a, a, a kind of narrative beyond 
we were on tour. Um, it doesn't add a great deal, but I, I did enjoy it. I, I'm really happy to watch it. There's a lot well, of the. I was going to say all of those bands you've just mentioned. Are you a fan of, and, and artists? Are you a fan of all of those? Oh yeah. So. Bowie, I've got, my, I've got a bit of time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't know you were a Bowie fan, Phil. Excellent. Yeah. Good man. Good man. Yeah. I play Heroes every week in my band. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I'm well overdue listening to you in live yeah. uh, doing your covers, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, the, the, there's a couple of kind of um, small little errors in that mm. when, when they originally cast the, the kind of main role for the guitarist of the band, who kind of carries a lot of the film. Um, as, as to being the kind of the the kind of person that he wants that the, the young journalist wants to interview and he's like the main guy in the band played by Billy Crudup and that was originally cast by Brad Pitt and he and in, in the early rehearsals literally just as they were about to start filming they just kind of worked out that he wasn't quite right mm. for the film I think it was a mutual agreement between yeah. Brad Pitt and, and Cameron Crowe um, but they still left in all the lines in the script that kind of that Brad Pitt would have. So you have a kind yeah. of Billy Crude up um, with black hair going, I'm a golden god! And <laughs> things like this. And you've also got lots of the girls going, he's unusually good looking and things like that. <laughs> Isn't Billy Crude up uh, another classic southern boy? I, I don't think know if he, he is seen, indeed. I think he is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a recurring theme going on with this, isn't there? Tonight? Yeah, but um, if you want to spend sort of two and a half hours or whatever with a, a group of really, mm-hmm. really nice characters nothing horrible happens nothing nasty happens but you want to kind of get back to understanding what the early days of bombastic 70s rock is like this it, it, it hits all the nails on the I'm quite, quite disappointed i haven't seen it because it may well have featured high up on my list actually it is very camera and crow yeah. if you mm. he does have his critics if you didn't like Jerry, you know, he can be quite sentimental in places. If you didn't like the likes of Jerry Maguire, there might be things in this that you don't like. But I, I love him. I think he's great. I, I like him. I like his yeah, stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I didn't think much. Of, I didn't think much of Vanilla Sky. I thought that was a bit of a strange remake. And um, mm. he didn't really make any more films after that. I think he made one or two. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. no more. To say very, very I recommended. Seen, so. Yeah, yeah I really need to try and see it somehow or other. And that's the only one. And I think that's skewed why my list isn't very, very similar to yours. Because you'll notice that yeah. I'm one behind you on each of these, aren't I? And that's yeah. why. And which brings us... Oh, so to number two, and you can go two. to three ebbing, three billboards. Yeah, you, you once again are <laughs> correct. Yes, exactly. I mean, I really don't have any more to say on this. We've already covered it, haven't we? Um, I think it's a brilliant film. I do think it probably is, just in a technical sense, it's probably her best performance. Um, Fargo's wonderful in terms of the playfulness of that, that character. But Three Billboards is just, you know, yeah. I mean, it, you really feel for that character. You're rooting yeah. for her. And it's not in a cheesy way or anything like no. that. You, all of it just makes sense. Yeah, you yeah. just. You, when she has setbacks, you, can, you, you feel it yourself, yeah. you know. Yeah. She and totally she, you, sells it. And I'm, I've never been a parent and I certainly haven't been a mother, but I can imagine if I was either of those things, particularly a mother, that sense of loss, well, loss of sorts and, and then also despair and agitation and frustration um, with system yeah. as it is played out in the local area by those particular characters. 
you know, I, you, you can feel it. You can feel it in every yeah. bone of her body as she's in that performance. And I think she's superb in it. It is, yeah. a, I think it's her, it's her probably a, a masterpiece as, as an actor. Yeah. Um, but, um, it's very close to being my number one because I think yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. not my number one. I think number one, both my number have, ones. I've got a funny feeling. This we have the same, same film. We do have the same number one. That is <laughs> if, correct. If neither of us have it, especially could you imagine how angry the listeners would be <laughs> yeah because so can what? i just shout out to andy 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 bass who's a who's a big fan of the show uh he certainly shares a lot of very similar music taste to you phil um he's been screaming about us not including the french dispatch actually in our films of last year um okay. which of course you didn't does, like it did you i didn't i didn't hate it i didn't hate it to be fair and you know, it would be on my long, long list, but it wouldn't. Yeah. I was disappointed with it. I felt it was a bit too pastiche and episodic, and it was a bit too much sameness without anything really new that I really liked. I'm not um, a very big Wes Anderson fan, I have to be honest. No, I, so. I did quite like Moonrise Kingdom. We'll yeah, I did. One, yeah, we'll horrible mentions yeah, yeah. in a minute on France and the Dawn. But um, but he he he's a big fan of the show, and he screamed at me a couple of times. It, and a couple of times he said, if you didn't have this Bond film in, you would have been in trouble <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. Um, however, I do think that there's no no need for anyone to worry if they're worrying about the F word. <laughs> because we're coming to the F word. Yeah, you film. betcha. You betcha. Um, <laughs> now, you be careful with that vehicle. <laughs> in case anybody for some astonishing reason, doesn't know what we're talking about. I'm changing my background to yeah. illustrate what this is, of course. I'll lean back so you can see there good old Francis go. with her, with her, um, her very cosy looking, keep you from being cold hood with the flappy ear things. Yeah. And she's got a gun brandished and she's got a sheriff's badge on top of a, a cap there. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, you're it's in Fargo. the wrong podcast. It's Fargo. Yeah. Of course 1996. It's, Fargo. it's- the best Coen Brothers film and it's the best Francis McDormand film, isn't it? Let's be perfectly honest. Um, So Minnesota car salesman, Jerry Lundegaard, a wonderful William H. Macy. Yeah. um, Is it inept? (laughs) I'm quite glad I'm sober. Otherwise I'll be doing it. Anyway, his inept crime uh, falls apart due to his henchmen, magnificent Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare, they're bungling, and the persistence police work of that heavily pregnant, fantastic Marge Gunderson, played by... Uh, I mean, what a great Dillon. idea, heavily pregnant protagonist who's yeah. working as a police officer in a neo-noir crime story. Brilliant. You wouldn't get it anywhere else apart from the, the Cohen, so yeah, they obviously wrote and directed it. Seven Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Macy. It won Best Actress for McDormand, and it won Best Screenplay. Uh, as it should Macy, of course, being William H. Macy, who is yeah. born to play, should there ever be a um, live-action version of it, um, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. It's true. <laughs> His career sort of went, and his his wife's career sort of went a bit belly up when they paid uh, to get their kids into college <laughs> illegally. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure, if you'll be seeing him very, very much anytime soon. Oh, um, really? Yeah, God, that's not so good. Probably more chance than Kevin Spacey, though. Marginally, yeah. <laughs> his wife's obviously the um, was in Desperate Housewives. Yeah. 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 Um, 
So Macy, I remember he was originally up for a much smaller role in this. I don't think he was quite such a well-known actor back then. And he was very persistent. I think he literally flew up to the Coens and just kept saying, I want this role, I want this role, I want this role, and kept bombarding them until they kind of that kind of kind of gave it to him. Again, McDormand's part was written specifically for her, as was Buscemi's and Stormes. Funny looking. Kind of funny looking. <laughs> I love the fact that um, while they were filming this, like Peter Stormer, who's Swedish, he was sort of just driving around visiting neighbouring places with Swedish names. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I do love that. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. She, so Mufasa McDormand, so she modelled this on her, sis, her sister, her adoptive sister, who um, joins the kind of uh, the, the church like her father did. Um, so he, she's a minister and a chaplain, um, so she kind of modelled it a little bit. On her. She she learned how to fire a gun, and she spent days talking with a with a pregnant police officer and built up a backstory for her character and everything. I mean, the, the, one of the main things, one of the characters in this film is the setting. I think oh, that 100%, whole sort of 100%. snowbound yeah, yeah. kind of over everything. So it was filmed in winter, but. Um, where they were filming didn't have as much snow as usual, so they had to uh, go and film in other places nearby. Uh, so none of Fargo is actually filmed in Fargo, but it it all looks, you know, it all certainly looks the place. Yeah, it's it's just so good. It's very funny. It's brutally violent. It's gorgeous to look at. It's one of my favourite films. I think this is Coen Brothers' masterpiece without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. I think all of the roles are brilliant. William H. Macy is superb as this uptight yeah. guy who's effectively he's requisitioned some hoods to uh, kidnap his wife yeah. with the idea of the father-in-law paying the ransom um, so, that, so that he... At the same time, he's trying to steal, steal a couple of cars from work, isn't he? Yeah. 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 And I mean, the, the hoods in this are... Just awkward and uh, they're, they're sinister, but they're awkward and useless at the same yeah. time. They're it's typically Cohen esque, yeah. As you said, the, the setting and in particular the snow is, well, is uh, the memory of this, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as is, we've got to talk about it, the accents. So, yeah. they're. <laughs> they're I, I had a little look into this. There is, an, there is an actual kind of thing called Minnesota Nice. Yeah, which is a kind of character trait and accent associated with people from there. <laughs> they had dialect coaches kind of come in to talk the cast, and they had to go and like listen to recordings and do homework, and go on field trips to pick up to pick up the accent. <laughs> it's got this Swedish inflection, hasn't it? It's yeah, a, it's yeah. A, it's so a inflection. Yeah. Um, Macy and McDormand's accents, in particular, are exaggerated to effect. Yes, yeah, but, it, yeah. but it works so well. It's, it's just kind of a, it's, it's just on a Canadian twang, isn't it? Quirks. Slightly, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going towards Canadian things. That it should have been a great film if I didn't do that. But it's just something else that just puts it a bit above everything else, you know. Yeah, the playfulness is there. We mentioned it earlier. I mentioned it again. Christopher Lloyd is the who is clearly is the uh, uncredited anonymous character, all kind of masked up and you know, covered up with warm clothing, sweeping away um, snow as, as Marge comes, yeah. comes along and, and investigates um, some mystery characters, funny-looking um, 
assassin would be assassins or hoods or whatever. And what do yeah. they look like? Kind of funny looking. Funny looking. <laughs> and you never see him. And I thought, for a while, I was thinking, who is that? I know, kind of funny looking. I thought, who is that voice? And afterwards, I was like, it's yeah. Christopher Lloyd. And it's never, yeah. it's never been credited Brown. anywhere that I can find, but it's undoubtedly him without any yeah. shadow. And who, of course, who, he popped up in Nobody. He popped up in the last episode when he was brilliant in that. Yeah. 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 And of course, it has, and we should mention, it spurned a, a TV series. So, well, yeah. So, a series of a TV series. Yeah. So, well. originally, there was, they made a pilot the year after for a, a, a TV series based with the same characters with hmm. Edie Falco as Marge Gunderson. Oh, yeah. It, it oh, okay. didn't get picked up. And then a year later, she got cast in Sopranos hmm. as Carmella. Um, that didn't have any Coen brothers involvement and was never taken up. Um, TV series inspired by the film with the Coen's exec producers came along in 2014. Yeah. There's none of the same characters. It's done hmm. four, four series now, but it's set in the same sort of fictional continuity. Yeah. And, it's, and, it, I mean, the, the the whole setting for this is so rich. It's perfect setting across several decades as well. It's yeah. great. The There's something about show. people overly kitted up in very, very warm clothing, which are, are very padded and slightly comedy looking, which is yeah. just great. And it's and, just different. It's just and a you've got a heavily different setting we don't see in, anywhere else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a heavily pregnant character in one of the other Fargo TV series, isn't there? Which is. A bit of a, I think it's something that ends up being the daughter-in-law or something, isn't it? The original yeah. Marge character, something like that. Um, but you've got Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman is very much like um, William H. Macy's character. Yeah. This this very uptight, passive-aggressive um, protagonist who's got no yeah. backbone when it comes down to Yeah, it. no, exactly. And Very watchable. It's so watchable. It's so endearing. It's so lovable and... And yet, um, it's got the same shocking bits of violence that just explode yeah. out of nowhere yeah. every now. And that's the beauty of the Coen Brothers. They've got that. Yeah. The, the, the power of their cinema is not just their quirkiness and the motifs and everything else. The little it's, touches, it's, yeah. The, the little touches, the propensity for violence is quite disarming because yeah. of all the other playful elements. And that's what makes it so great. Yeah. One of the other things that's kind of quite famous about this film. Um, it says at the beginning, based on a true story, which is complete yes. nonsense. And the Coen brothers, <laughs> to their credit, they've gone back and forth over the years on whether it is or isn't. <laughs> they just change their mind every couple of years just to keep people guessing. <laughs> I think quite a lot of the local residents were sort of, of brainerd were quite upset when sort of right after the film, loads of, uh, sort of film fans turned up with shovels and started digging out the, the, the buried ransom cash everywhere. Oh. That's just reminded me, by the way, the, many years the, later, do you know about the Japanese film? The Japanese woman. Yeah. Yeah. So a well, Japanese woman went in there and she actually died, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. And, and they, they made, made a film, film about, about it. Uh, yeah, 2014. Which I saw. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it, no. Which is about this woman who's, who's obsessed with the film. She's watching it on video relentlessly and she then becomes obsessed with this buried money and goes looking for it. And and trying to hunt down the the locations yeah. and everything. Very not, odd not film. Not really used to the weather, the yes. weather at all. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Inappropriately dressed, and it's a very but odd. It came film. all the way from Japan to America. Long. Yeah, mm. I haven't seen it. No. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's too long. It, it's interesting, but it's a bit too long. But the the, the character oozes. I, I think it. You know, when there's very occasionally you'll get something made, which whether it's a film or a song or a. TV series or something where 
it's so indelible. You just, you yeah. just, you, you see it and the, the tangibility of this character, this story, this song, whatever it might be, it's just embedded immediately. And you think this feels like it's been there forever and yeah. it hasn't been. But as soon as it's there, you think, yes, this, this is now there forever. There's, there's one, one of those films. There's no other film even remotely like this. No. But when you think of Fargo, the same way as when you think about three billboards, you immediately think of Francis McDormand. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, I've got it in the background here on my wallpaper. But, um, you know, the image of her, whether heavily, heavily pregnant or just in general with a snow wear on and, and everything. Yeah. And, yep, I think I'm going to barf, you know, <laughs> <laughs> vomiting at the side of the crime scene out on the street somewhere. Um, it's absolutely brilliant because it, yeah. it taps into ordinary everydayness. You know, people yeah. can relate to her because she is just an ordinary housewife slash mum who happens to be a police officer yeah. doing a job. Just being honest, you know, her husband's the the everyday, reliable, yeah. lovable, unremarkable yeah. husband at home. Uh, I can't remember his name, the actor, but he's, he's always a solid actor mm. playing those kind of roles. And that's what people tap into. She's just your everywhere person. But she happens to be a police, yeah. policewoman who's astute. She's yeah. sharp. Oh, she's, she? yeah, yeah, definitely. And what's so funny is the passive-aggressive element. You know, the way yeah. she pr- hit her and William H. Macy when she goes to ask him initially about, well, where's this vehicle been and this, that and the other? You know, they're both so up, so passively aggressive with each other. Yeah. It's absolute cinema gold. It's yeah, brilliant. Definitely. It's so, so I good. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Yeah, you can't beat it, and um, and they're but they're both magnificent in it. To be honest with you, and yeah. and as you said, when you think of the film, yeah, you can you can start to think about all the story and everything. When you first get mentioned, someone says Fargo to you, yeah, first thing that goes into my head is Snow, very very quickly followed by Frances McDormand yeah. in her yeah, police exactly. outfit outside <laughs> in the snow somewhere, um, yeah. and you can't see more than that really. Um, if I'm, I've I've drawn it in the past, I'm going to draw on it now. 1,000 yeah. movies you must see before you die. Remember, I've got my yeah. Michael Caine get Carter at the front of the uh, front of the um, uh, old front cover. cover. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, yeah. And it says, Fargo, 1996. I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. When specialty of chain gang flick into flamboyant... The wood chipper reminded temple. me a lot of the um, when they used to put the burning in uh, Blood Simple. The, yeah, uh, the yeah. incinerator outside incinerator, the bar. Yeah, yeah. 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 Kind of going to co-in touch, yeah. That's true, actually. That is true, yeah, yeah. Um, it says here, the foremost filmmakers to emerge from America in the 1980s, their best films still look great and devilishly clever. Fargo is among their very best. It's a wicked tale, as ever, co-written by the brothers, produced by Ethan, directed by Joel, or at least that's what they said at the yeah. time, um, which provokes gasps of admiration and rapt shock, along with belly laughs. Embezzlement, abduction, deceit, misunderstanding and murder are all in the frame, as is another regular feature of the Cohen-esque experience, a crime that gets totally out of control. Yeah, that's another motif, isn't yeah. it? Um, Fargo takes place in North Dakota, where oppressed car salesman Jerry Lundegaard played by William H. Macy, in the anxious performance that lifted him from ever-useful character actor to eagerly sought-after character actor, arranges a meeting with the two ex-cons he hires to abduct his wife. But most of the film, um, impishly introduced as a true story, 
in the first of its macabre deceptions, is set in the austere snowy scapes of Cohen's native Minnesota, where the exaggerated regional dialect amusingly employed by in, um, in hilariously banal chit-chat is as flat sing-song relic of the area's Scandinavian immigrant pioneers and at absurd odds with heinous goings-on. Yeah, the yeah. whole innocence versus sinister crime thing is yeah. a motif. The anonymous character is a motif. Um, and what, what I like is the awkwardness as well. Yeah. You know, Steve Buscemi gets shot at one point and he gets a, a, a like a comedy injury, doesn't he? He's yeah. shot across the bottom of the chin or something, yeah. isn't he? And it's just so, it's so brilliant. It's so messy and how you'd imagine things would be. They wouldn't be clean cut and pristine and stylish yeah. and tragic or whatever. They'll, they'll just be awkward and bloody and not quite right. No, that's it. And I love that. Yeah, I love I, I'd say this was kind of the pinnacle of what I would call the Cohen brothers' golden period. So, if looking at their run of films, eighty-seven, Raising Arizona, ninety, yeah. Miller's Crossing, ninety-one, Barton Fink, ninety-four, Hudsucker Proxy, ninety-six, Fargo, ninety-eight, Big Lebowski, two thousand, A Brother Where Art Thou. I mean, that's a string of seven films. And they're all classic. After that, I think they lost brilliant. their way. They still do fantastic work. Yeah. But I think those, those, I mean, those seven films are the, are the peak for me. And that's sort of right in the middle and the real kind of pinnacle of it. Yeah, I'd go along with that as well. Plot spoiler for later. Yeah. But there we go. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, and they are, um, I, I, I also, by the way, I, I was in, um, I was doing a film course in Southampton, 96 to 99. And this film came out at the, Roughly at the beginning of my time working yeah. at cinema, Harbour Light Cinema in Southampton in the marina, yeah. which I would like to pick up because it's a great cinema. Yeah. If you live or you can get to very easily that area, I recommend you go there. Very good sound quality, very good seats, lovely okay. staff. The, the guy who runs it, Matt, is a, is a lovely guy. You'll never and have anybody in front of you because it's on a real kind of yeah level. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> you betcha. Um, yeah. And... They, they show great films as well. Yeah, and this was a treasured memory of working there. I watched it five times in about <laughs> two weeks and I didn't get bored. That's another testament to its quality. It's so easy to get bored of even a very well-made film if there's not yeah. anything new to discover. But every time I watched it, there was new elements I thought I either discovered for the first time or gave greater credence to. Yeah. that I could have done on one, on one sitting. I remember watching Big Lebowski with you at that very cinema. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't fuck with the Jesus. <laughs> he got a spin-off film and it's rubbish, so I haven't seen it. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, but it was a great film. It's it, it, a great venue as well. But, yeah. um, but honestly, if you've not seen Fargo, that is ridiculous. Watch it immediately. And watch all the TV series, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen to the rest of this because we may only have about 10 minutes more to go. But after that, you yeah. should switch straight on and watch that. And also, to be fair to them, though, those TV series are all, they're all very good in their own right, yeah, aren't yeah. they? I think they're, they're yeah, all it's, it's not the same char- characters or the cast. It's, it changes from series to series. And, it's just and the same periods. world. And it's got yeah, the same exactly. general tone, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 And they produced, I think, didn't they? They're, yeah, they they're did, co-produced yeah, yeah. Executive produced. <laughs> Whatever it might be, yeah. So there we go. So we've got the same number one. Who knew? Uh, there I you did, go. I did kind of pretty much 100%. Yes. Yeah. It was going to be the same number one. And why not? Because she's brilliant in it. They are brilliant. Yeah. It's their best film. It's it's her best film in yeah. terms of... Entertainment. 
entertainment yeah. and it's it's um Enjoyment. it's part in cinema history. I think Three Billboards is a fantastic film, but I think in the end, when you look at that film, that's a classic. It's iconic yeah. uh, to a greater degree. There we go. There we go. Right. So, so honourable mentions. Yes. Well, let's let's talk about the cameo, shall we? Because we've mentioned them, we yeah. haven't given them any. So, Raising interest. Arizona, obviously, yeah. great film, wonderful, um, great film. Miller's yeah. Crossing. It's yep. one of the greatest gangster films that never ever gets mentioned in gangster film conversations. Barton Fink, fantastic. Oh, these are all Coen film. Brothers films. Um, that John Turturro is absolutely fantastic in that. Uh, also played, also played the, the Jesus that you just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, the Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Hail Caesar. I watched re- recently. Um, that I really enjoyed that. That was a, and, a, another bonkers film that didn't really make much sense and completely random. Yeah. I saw that I saw that at the cinema and I saw it again the other day during my COVID in um you know infection and I equally enjoyed it on the small screen, first point to make. Secondly, I I love the playfulness of it. You know we talked about Alfred Hitchcock. I enjoy a musical number, but they just yeah, Channing Tatum is great. That's brilliant, isn't it? I mean what I like about this film, we 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 talked about Hitchcock and there's a playfulness to the colour tones. And there's something about it when even if you'd never seen it before, yeah. it feels so familiar. And you've, you've, you've had that with a number of his films. And the Coen brothers have tapped into the same thing. And what they've also done here is they've done a love, love letter to Hollywood. Um, yeah. There's the, the classic musicals. They've got the Busby Berkeley, you know, the, the classic shot from the top of people swimming in a pool or doing yeah. something with their bodies to create this greater picture aesthetic of amazing kind yeah. of stenograph type scenarios and you've got you've got Channing Tatum in this sailor dancing in a bar scene and it's brilliant George Clooney being held hostage by communists (laughs) (laughs) and then winning himself round to their way of course yeah yeah and And Frances McDormand has her cameo in this it's like a projection isn't she yeah I mean she's in it for about two or three minutes she's an editor I think isn't she and there's a scene where he wants to see the cuts the main the main character really is um I've forgotten his name uh Remind me, what's the name of the guy? He's, he, he plays the fix-it guy for a Hollywood studio called... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think they're called um, Capital Pictures. Is it Josh they? Brolin? Josh Brolin, that's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he plays the henchman. Well, not a henchman, he's sort of like the fix-it guy yeah. for Capital Pictures, which is a fictional version of one of the big studios. Yeah, yeah. And he goes around and he, he, he he's, a, he's an all, all-encompassing guy. He's a guy who's got some kind of sway and he can pull some financial muscle. But he, he's there to fix it, to sort out the press with some potential scandals to negate that. He palms off the gossip columnists. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's fixing stuff and he's matchmaking people to avoid scandals. And he's more or less literally casting people in roles. Yeah. He's, he's the all, all encompassing guy behind the scenes guy. And you've got Scarlett Johansson doing this this musical number with Busby Berkeley. Yeah, and she's pregnant and they're trying to marry she's her off. They're trying to marry her off. Yeah. You've got Channing Tatum, as you said, as a sailor who's a masculine guy yeah. doing all this stuff. And then you've got George Clooney, who's, um, who's Stupid, a, a centurion in a but yeah. he's a centurion in a biblical epic. Yeah. And all of those visuals are brilliant. They are... Yeah. They really... You, if you watch... You want to watch those films, don't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Good. And it's it's a love letter to cinema, to the classic Hollywood era. But at its heart, it's it's got the playful, whimsical element of 
those kind of films that we yeah. mentioned with the, with the Coen brothers. And Francis McDormand's role is just purely at two minutes where Josh Brolin's character um, struts in and he wants to get the rushes to find out yeah. how this guy has done who's this kind of singing cowboy type character who's been yeah. cast in... Moved you know, into a film directed by Ralph Fiennes, isn't it? Ralph Fiennes yeah. as Laurence Lorenz. He's fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Would that it were so simple, yeah. And so all that stuff. And, it, and it's it's like a, a character piece, a, roman- a whim- romantical whimsy. And they've cast this cowboy, this kind of action cowboy guy in the role. And it's brilliantly, hilariously yeah. congruous. And you've got all those elements in there. But um, Josh Brolin's character is um, intriguing because he, he harks to the old the old era. And then he, there's a scene where he goes to see these rushes and Francis McDormand is literally in the film for about two minutes. Two minutes. Nothing more than that. Yeah. And she's she's playing a post-production, probably a, an editor, I think. Yeah. And um, she's showing him this footage and gets her scarf caught in the reel. Yeah. <laughs> and all the scene kind of burns up and you wonder what's happened to the cinema. And then, yeah. then you realise she's got a scarf caught and she's choking, trying to tell him to get rewind it, rewind yeah. it. And actually, it's one of her funniest roles. And yeah, she's in definitely. it for a... That, that two scene minutes. is about two minutes. Brilliant. So anyway, trying to move on from the Coen brothers. So Wes yes. Anderson, she's also yep. done a lot of work with. Moonrise Kingdom, I, I, I really enjoyed. It's another strange film. It's definitely Wes Anderson. Oh, she's great, she's great in it, you know, with Bill Murray, <laughs> who turns up in all of the Wes Anderson films as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and I Bruce enjoyed, Willis. That, she's having an affair with Bruce Willis yeah, in this film. Yeah, yeah. Would you believe? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. She's I good. Mean, that, it's a very small role, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah, she's in a I few think, yeah, she's got a few, quite a few bits. I mean, yeah, that's kind of um, would probably be my sort of six or seven again. I think. Yeah, same. And then, and then obviously the French Dispatch and uh, Isle of Dogs we've already mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Shortcuts. She also, she, sorry, she also had a cameo in The Man Who Wasn't There, a Coen Brothers film. And um, mm. Shortcuts with Robert Altman. It's a strange film, that. It's like three hours long. Some people yeah. love it. Some people don't. I quite like the ending, <laughs> the fact that there's suddenly an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. a follow-up to The Player, Robert Altman's other film about Hollywood, yeah. which features probably the largest group of um, Hollywood actors in the history of the of cinema, with one or two possible exceptions, if you count things like Mass Entertainment, which is a documentary yeah. feature. But in terms of fiction, I think, I don't, I'm not sure there's been any, any more Hollywood players than in that film and shortcuts is like a it's kind of a fashion thing isn't it yeah it's it's, the fashion industry yeah there's just quite a lot going on there's lots of it's mm. big ensemble cast isn't yeah. it? lots of interlinked characters yeah have you seen um palookaville i haven't no that's a great little film a really yeah, nice i should have watched that yeah i saw again it was the same era when it was the cinema in southampton late 90s um it's a year or two after fargo i think um, and it's a great little independent film. I don't really, I it's a long time since I've seen it, and I wouldn't want to spoil it anyway with the yeah. plot. Honestly, check it out if you can find it. I yeah. couldn't find it because I wanted to watch yeah. it again, but that, that's a great little film. Can't remember what significance Francis McDormand's role yeah. is in that, to be honest. Um, but another film I, I enjoyed, Curtis Hanson's Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas. She was in that. That's a great film. Yeah, yeah. Um, another John Sayles film, Lone Star, uh, mm. came out around about the same time as, as Fargo. With Matthew McConaughey, another Southern boy. 
Yeah, um, that, quite enjoyed that. I think we both watched it this week, having never seen it before. The uh, primal fear court, yeah. courtroom drama that I good, I'd good, never, good thriller. With Richard Gere and Edward Norton. Yeah, very different role to what she normally does. She plays yeah. a sort of psychotherapist for a yeah, character who's it was been quite, it was quite, murder, quite an interesting film. Yeah, I thought it was good. I think the pacing's good, the acting's good. Yeah, Gere's good in the right roles, and Francis McDormand playing the psychiatrist for the accused, um, a guy yeah. who's accused of murdering a bishop. Um, is I think she's good. She's quite quite um, reserved in the role, isn't yeah. she? Um, a bit standoffish. But there's a couple of really key scenes yeah, no, to, to the story where she's she's very good at it. Yep. And lastly, her most recent film I watched last week, um, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, directed by her husband Joel Cohen for once on his own, not with his brother. Oh, um, controversial. I mean, it, I'm not. I'm not the biggest Shakespeare enthusiast. If you are into stark black and white visuals and Shakespeare, you would love this. Denzel Washington as Macbeth. It's got a fantastic cast. I'm not a big Shakespeare person, and I didn't really know what was going on most of the time. And my wife had to keep giving me a commentary to. Uh, explain what was happening because they haven't watered down any of the dialogue or anything you know mm, yeah uh, it's interesting it it's mm. interesting if you're if you're into if you're into Shakespeare you'll find it my wife is very much a Shakespeare sort of student and she found it very interesting and a very good adapt- adaptation but okay fair enough not not for me okay fair enough um I've not seen Paradise Road or Wonder Boys or Almost Famous um, the man who wasn't there, Cohen Brothers, I really loved. Yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't really go on with that. I thought that was a bit strange. It's a bit it's odd, went isn't a bit it? too far for me. Yeah. Have you seen This Must Be the Place? No. Neither have I. Okay, moving on. Moonrise Kingdom, we mentioned. Promised Land, ALCs are three billboards. What else have we got? But that's it, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, from yeah. in terms of my selection and honourable mentions and everything that's that's pretty much that the only, other, few... the only other film we haven't mentioned was another small part another early Sam Raimi film Darkman from 1990 Quite oh a... yeah with Liam Neeson yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 thoughts on that have you seen it I haven't seen it in a long time I, I saw it around the time it came out I thought it was great fun it's not up there with Raimi's <laughs> classics you know yeah, but really. he's just someone that needs to make more films Sam Raimi I love him. <laughs> Bit of a fan, are we? Yeah. <laughs> right. Here's some other correspondence we've had from Andy oh, Nott. Yeah. Andy Nott in Brighton. He's just gone for three, to be honest. He's, he's gone Fargo, Nomadland, and Three Billboards. All great films and performances. Um, he said, that said, there are about three others that I can't remember her role. So there's that. David Townsend from Bexilon C has said, number one for him is, well, actually, I'll do it the other way around. Number five is Shortcuts. Number four is Blood Simple. Number three is Nomadland. Number two is Three Billboards. And guess what's at number one? Fargo. Indeed. You betcha. He said he was struggling for a fifth, to be honest. Completely forgotten that she was in She's um, Something's Got to Give, which, despite my love for Jack Nicholson, is the biggest pile of shite going. I'm sure she was great in it, though, he says. (laughs) (laughs) And we've also had from Robin in the northeast of England, He's gone for Primal Fear at number five and Nomadland at four, Mississippi Burning at three. And the top two is same as us. Three billboards billboards and number one is Fargo. He said he wasn't a big fan of Nomadland as many and he can't put his finger on exactly why. Well, I think we might have helped. We've kind of gone over that. (laughs) Um, And I think that's pretty much that. 
Um, no other correspondence on my end. Phil, any, any further things from you? It's been great fun. I've really, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it, yeah, me too. Yeah. I've also been enjoying it with one of these, which is um, just for okay. the benefit of the, uh, the people that are looking at our Zoom camera. Um, which is everybody listening to the podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just those. Hypothermia. <laughs> Um, Nordic Rye Ale. It says from Tallinn in Estonia. I'm not sure that qualifies as Nordic, therefore, but there we go. Anyway, it's rather nice. Quite nice. Phil, you on anything else or are you still on the side? I'm just finishing off my uh, my, uh, California IPA. Mm. There we go. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been a pleasure, as always. As always. Um, we'll be back with a new subject, which we will tell you about in due course. But I think that covers it for for so far for tonight, doesn't it, Phil? Yeah, Any further I think thoughts? So. If you all I can say is, if you haven't seen the ones at the top of our list, if you've not yeah. seen Mississippi Burning, or Three Billboards, or or Fargo, you've got to see those. Yeah, and her, vo- her voice work in Isle of Dogs is great too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's and a very sport- quirky film. Very different, yeah, yeah. yeah. And those smaller roles, Barton Fink, as you as you mentioned, and um, Miller's Crossing and stuff like that, uh, Hail yeah. Caesar, those those are all great in their own right. We'll do the yeah. we'll do the Coen Brothers at some other time in, in a couple of years, and yeah, we'll go into it all in a bit more detail. We will indeed. But in the meantime, Phil, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, we'll sign off by saying thank you for joining us, everybody. Check us out for the next one, and it is time to stop the action. So we will say cut. You betcha.